get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, saver retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hi, I'm Dan for Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers, here to share the easiest way to buy tires. Come to Dobbs. With the best tire brands and the biggest inventory, you'll get your tires the same day at the lowest price, guaranteed. Next time you need tires, get into Dobbs. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast, powered by I Promise. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Virgin lost it to Bozak. A shorthanded break. Bozak is in. He shoots. He scores. Tyler Bozak. His second shorty of the year. On to Shen to O'Reilly. Shoot. Score. Ryan O'Reilly with a screen in front from Braden Shen. And the St. Louis Blues have got the power play goal. You know, there's guys out there that score a lot of goals or there's guys out there that play well defensively but um not many guys can do everything like that and i think he's one of the select few in the league and uh we're very lucky to have they him. get it ahead o'reilly breakaway shoots he scores o'reilly does it to the wild again an overtime game winner and the blues win 5-4 the win streak is that this four? is the time you know we're trying to get into the playoffs and we need everyone and we keep beating teams like this it, it gives us confidence and we're going to be a dangerous team down the stretch here with alex ferrario and tanner hendricks and i'm brandon kylie it is bk and ferrario live from the enb granite studio at the Centene community ice center blues win again last night five to four in overtime it is their fourth straight victory their second straight against minnesota all of these have come against either Colorado or Minnesota to playoff teams in the West Division. Alex, I'm running out of words to describe what we're watching right now. I'm all in. Now, I'm not all in on the bandwagon because I'm not allowed on the Correct. bandwagon, but I'm all in on what we're watching right now. And I got to say, I don't even know what more we can use as descriptors for Ryan O'Reilly's play because the guy, he's got to be in Minnesota's nightmares now. He has two overtime goals against them. The last one was with like five seconds remaining in overtime. This time he puts him away again. He has nine goals in his last nine games. This guy's not known as a goal scorer, and he's leading the way for the Blues right now. It's unbelievable, Minnesota's man. nightmares. He's in Colorado's nightmares right now. I would imagine he's probably in Vegas's nightmares because they're going to have to play him soon. Look, Ryan O'Reilly is the you-go-we-go man. It's is the Dexter Fowler effect. It's the Paul Goldschmidt, Tommy Edmond effect. That's what Ryan O'Reilly is. You have now won four straight games. And in those four straight games, BK, you have two come-from-behind victories where you were down by two goals. The one game you were down by two goals multiple times. You have a game where you were ahead the entire time and didn't allow Colorado to do anything. And then you have a game that you were up by three. You allowed Minnesota to come back and tie it late 
and then you win it in overtime. I mean, there's no other areas for you to go and say, okay, well, can you overcome this, right? There's no more tests to give the Blues. How about Vladimir Tarasenko being ruled out moments before the game? And how about Vince Dunn still not being on the trip and Colton Pareko not obviously being 100%? Oh, and you want to go even further with it? How about you shorten the bench in terms of you only use three defensemen in the third period? And Robert Mortuzo plays less than five minutes in the game. And your fourth line didn't see the ice in the third period. So there's no, like, basically it's the, hey, let's see if you can do this. Then I'll tell you that you're good. Okay, did it. What next? Okay, well, let's see if you can do this. Got it. Okay, now what? But what about the competition level, Alex? They're clearly not going up against the best. Oh, wait. Nope, no, nope. No. Can't, can't say that either there anymore. Was, there was no uh, there was no Miko Rantanen with COVID on that game last night. It was just a strict 5-for-5 five five team. And Minnesota, I'm amazed Minnesota made the decision to go back to Cam Talbot. I said this on pregame. That feels like the guy who tries to go and get into a fight because he's angry and then gets his ass handed to him. Like Cam Talbot, and look, he didn't have a horrible, no, he had a horrible game. He only saw 21 shots on goal, and he allowed five goals. So the Blues took advantage of that situation. For me, they tightened up the second period. I thought their second period was really good last night. The third period got, yeah, I know. You're, <laughs> We're just moving it forward a period now. You're just moving forward a <laughs> period, but, but look. Minnesota was going to make a push, and I think Tyler Bozak said that on the game last night. They were going to make a push, and they did. Blues were unable to stop it, but they found a way to overcome it. Minnesota, and I'm sorry with all these stats. I just get so excited. I heard Danny Mack say I'm flying super high today, and I am. I promise you. Shut up, Tanner. Seven of the nine games that the – seven of the last nine games that the Blues have played in, they've scored three or more goals. They went seven straight games – without scoring three goals once. So for how long we've been saying that this team's offense isn't there, it's starting to come through now. Why? Because you have depth of scoring to make other teams kind of play on their toes. So, Alex, I've got a question for you. Remember no, you when can't they- come back on the bandwagon. No, I, I, I know that. I know. Remember when they had that three-game streak and then they lost a game, and I was like, see? See? Clearly, it was all fake. I clipped that audio for my montage when they make the playoffs. So they had that three-game stretch right before the trade deadline where everybody was jumping back on the bandwagon. Not you. Then they lose to Colorado 4-3. They lose to Arizona 3-2. They lose again to Colorado 4-2, and it's like, oh, okay. Here we go again. The Blues had a nice three-game streak, and now it's over. It's done for. They just had a three-game stretch right before the deadline where they proved to Army, hey, this is our team, and then they went back to being the team they were prior to that. What if the outlier was those three games in the middle where they lost three straight? Because they did look good against Vegas and then two against Minnesota, and now they've looked really good again in their last four games against Colorado and against Minnesota. And went, come on, man. I did. I, I remember. Vi- I vividly remember Those saying, words. "This is ridiculous." Come on, man. What if we are now ten games out of this ten-game stretch? What if the outlier was the three games that they lost? What if, is that possible? I'll ask it that way. Is it possible the outlier was the three games where they didn't look good? And the new reality for the Blues is. They're actually a really damn good hockey team that's playing their best when they needed to. Honestly, you can go to the seven-game losing streak and say that too, though, BK. I mean, look at that Minnesota. You can't. Don't give me the come-on man look. The seven-game losing streak? No, I'm not. The the seven-game losing streak was bad. But if you go into individual (laughs) performances, that Minnesota Wild loss that they had, they they didn't. They couldn't score goals. But look, they they won or they lost that game two to nothing. 
and they outshot Minnesota like 32 to like 12 or something like that. It was all a process. And I go back to 1819 where Craig Berube had talked about the team. He took over and they were still losing. I think it was the end of January where they were on a West Coast trip and they lost three of them. And he said, I like how we're playing because we're starting to build that confidence. And then they go out and they beat the Columbus Blue Jackets. And then they play the Florida Panthers, which was game two of that 11-game win streak. They were down, and they came back in the third period and won that game. And then that was what sparked that 11-game win streak. So to answer your question, yeah, I think those were outliers. Because if you go prior to that, where they were winning those three games, and remember, those three games that they won before that, you remember who kind of sparked that rally that you said that's a terrible idea? Bennington. That's right. And look what happened has since. Jordan yeah. Bennington has sparked a little bit of a rally from this team. I would be really curious. I don't know that we'll ever know the answer to this. I want to know what happened between the game against Colorado on Thursday, the one where they lost 4-2, to two, mm-hmm. and the game against Colorado on Saturday where they won 5-3. Because they were different teams. Yeah. The team that we saw in that Thursday game where they lost 4-2, to two, you remember we came on the air the next day, um, and they sounded broken. They sounded like a broken team. I remember talking to Joey about it, and we were like, hey, man, can you feel the defeat setting in? And he said, yeah, I, I can kind of feel it. And Joey is the last guy that would say anything like that if he wasn't starting to sense that, right? Ryan O'Reilly looked broken after those games. I would love to know what changed. What changed in that two- to three-game stretch or two- to three-day stretch where something clearly clicked for them. Maybe it was Colton Pareko getting back. I, I don't know what it was, but something changed. They flipped the switch, and now they look like one of the better teams in hockey again. We knew they had the talent. It was about the chemistry. It was about, for whatever reason, things not fitting together. And now the biggest thing that has stood out to me, Alex, is the thing that you were talking about so gloriously prior to the season. The Blues have now gone nine straight games with the power play goal. Nine straight that is the longest streak in an individual blue season since 1987, 35 years ago. And Alex was saying to all of us, Hola Notes, this is going to be the greatest thing since sliced bread for the Blues. It's the best one in franchise history, the best power play they've had ever. Well, it took about 40 games to get here, but you ended up being right. I mean, it turned out to be a strength for this team. You know, you asked the question what happened in that 4-2 game. A couple things for me. One, the Blues were playing undisciplined. They took a lot of dumb penalties, and that's what Craig Berube said after that game. Look at it. They start the second period 27 seconds in. Colton Pareko gives a delay of game penalty, which puts them on the penalty kill. They're on the penalty kill two more times in that second period. So Colorado spent a lot of time at five on or at uh, the power play. They scored a power play goal. It's hard to get to your game when you're getting penalties after penalties after penalties called. And that goes on both sides because there were a total of 10 calls. And that's the other thing for me. That was before Mike Hoffman was put on that number one unit. That's true. They didn't score. They scored one goal and five opportunities on the power play. They were still in the midst of that goal streak. But then you go to the next game. Mike Hoffman on that five on three power play, he scores that goal. And then from there, look at the power play. They go one for two against the Avalanche and win that game. Two for two against the Minnesota Wild win that game. One for two last night against the Minnesota Wild. So I'm not saying that's the reason that they sounded broken, because it did. But they are they are back to the that dominant force at five on five. And when you're getting penalties called eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve of them in a hockey game, it sucks the life out of the momentum for the Blues. 
to where they can't get to it. So when you're only getting three penalties called in a game, that's playoff hockey. The last two games looked like playoff hockey because they're not calling penalties. They're keeping it at five on five. Those are the games that the Blues can take advantage of and win because they only need one or two power plays to jump on the opposite team. And then if it stays five on five, they're going to come out victorious. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line to get involved in the show. Uh, this one comes from the 636. Guys, they're Stanley Cup champions, BK. They overcame the adversity yet again. I'm surprised that you ever doubted this team. Okay. They are. And let's pump the brakes on the Stanley Cup. I mean, they are Stanley Cup champions, but let's remind people that that is a very different-looking team out there now compared to what they were two years ago. Absolutely it is. This is not the same unit. It is not the same team, and that's why it took so long for them to be able to find their game. It's for them to be able to have this chemistry. But the guys that are stepping up right now, in large part, were the guys that were a big part of that Stanley Cup team. Yep. And I got to give a lot of credit to one of the most underrated players on the Blues, and that's Tyler Bozak, because he has also been a significant piece to what the Blues have done in this streak. In his last 11 games, he has three goals and seven assists, and he's a plus two overall. He has overtaken, or he has taken over as one of the more stabilizing forces i think you can say yep. on this team he's 100%. a centerman that has allowed them to move Braden shin up to that top line so now they have a true like shutdown almost forward line up there with ryan o'reilly and craig berube was asked after the game last night what has changed in terms of the scoring that they're getting up and down the lineup i think a big part of that is certainly what tyler, tyler bozak has given them the kids, uh, Kyrou and Thomas, are doing a great job, you know, contributing and, and putting up points and scoring, and they're playing good hockey. And, uh, you know, everybody's really contributing and playing good hockey. And um, I think, you know, we're really doing a good job of, um, you know, reloading and, and playing good defense and, and checking. So that's a big part of it, too. Um, really, you know, guys are bought in right now. They are. And, again, I think Bozak is a big piece of that. Alex, I am curious from your perspective, if Tyler Bozak ends up going into the offseason and says, you know, I'm looking at a one-year deal because he's a free agent after this year. One year, two and a half to three and a half million dollars. Maybe you add in some incentives in there for me. Is he a guy that you think at this point the Blues would do well to bring back next year? Definitely. And I was thinking about this last night. And look, he's had a tough season because of the injury that took place, the Vegas hit that's kept him out for a while. Because if it wasn't for that, I think his numbers would look a lot different this year for how he's played. He's a calming force out there. Look at where he's been in the last few seasons. He played with Robert Thomas and Pat Maroon, and they were influential in a cup run. Last season, he was a part of a team that won their, the, the Western Conference, and he was a big piece of it. And then this season... I mean, he has been a calming force in every situation he's been placed in. He's played with Robert Thomas and Jordan Cairo, and that's worked for him. He's played now with Jaden Schwartz and Tarasenko, and look what's happened. These guys have started to score some goals. He's effective on the power play. He's effective on the penalty kill. He's a, um, he's a, he's a veteran in and out of the locker room. To me, he's an Alexander Steen. That's the way I look at it, and it doesn't and it doesn't surprise me because he and Steen were close when Steen was playing um, here in St. Louis. So yes, if it's going to be interesting how this works because they, they got eighteen million dollars, they have eight forwards locked up for next season, and that's not counting Clem Costin, so he's going to be in there as well. But if I can get a guy who can play on my third or fourth line, or honestly on the second line if I need him to, for one year for two million dollars. 
I'm bringing that guy back because I need that leadership in the locker room because his leadership is crucial with guys like Ryan O'Reilly and Braden Shen to have other voices in there. So I think for the for the sanctity of a cup window still for the Blues, bringing back Tyler Bozak is crucial for Doug Armstrong. It's just about finding the right deal. And again, you got to figure out what's going on with Schwartz and the defense, but... I think he will be a priority for Doug Armstrong because of the leadership. I also said all year, I think he's going to be the guy that ends up having to accept that role, right? And that's a big part of what's happening right now as well. There's guys that are accepting roles that they weren't otherwise expecting. I thought it was going to be the fourth line. I thought he was going to be a center on the fourth line for the Blues. And it's been the opposite. Instead of dropping down from that third line, he's actually moved up. And he's been the guy that's gotten the most out of Schwartz and Tarasenko. I know we didn't see that last night with Tank getting the the scratch before the game, but he's been an important piece for those guys. So I think I would be in favor of it. I do think you have to consider the possibility that next year his role would be as a fourth-line center. Um, But if he is willing to come back, and is, once again, willing to accept a role that may be lesser than what he could get elsewhere on a team that might not expect to be competing for a cup, I would love to have Tyler Bozak back next year, especially with what we've seen from him over the last two or three weeks. And I think you have to look at it, too. Robert Thomas and Jordan Cairo have excelled into being a a second line for this Blues team, so they're going to probably have an advanced role next season. And then with Tyler Bozak, he might be protection for you. One, for Oscar Sundquist, because you don't know what he's going to look like with his ACL injury. And two, is Ivan Barbashev going to be here next year because of the expansion draft? Or is Oscar Sundquist going to be here because of the expansion draft? If you don't have one of those guys, Tyler Bozak could be your third-line center. And if he's not, he's your fourth-line center, and that's huge for this team. He plug and play. You could put him anywhere. Yeah. He can play in basically any role. He is, you mentioned it, the comp is, is very real. He's basically what you had previously out of Alex Steen. So it would be intri- interesting to see how that goes. It is 11-16, your time check, brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Plenty more blues coming up throughout the day today. We will get into the NFL draft from last night in about 15 minutes or so with our favorite picks, biggest winner, biggest loser. We'll get into all of that. But coming up next, we got to talk about my guy, Matt Carpenter, because he stole a game for the Cardinals yesterday. That's next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. If you would have caught that, I think I might have retired and been up there in the booth with you. I, I don't know. I'm not sure I could have handled that. But uh, it feels good. It feels good to be able to contribute and get in there and do something to help us win a game. I saw that look that you had in your eye. What's that? You were hoping he had caught it. You were hoping that, that oh, I the threat came to fruition. I would That's never not nice. hope retirement on anyone. That is not nice. Although I was kind of hoping that that didn't go out. Uh, yeah, of course you were. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. We're live from the E&B Granite Studio at the Centene Community Ice Center. That audio you heard was courtesy of Valley Sports Midwest as the Cardinals get a walk-off winner last night. In large part, guys, due to Matt Carpenter stepping up as a pinch hitter. Are we going to give that to Matt Carpenter, or should we give that to Edmundo Sosa? Because Sosa what? started the rally. Oh, that's a good point. 
Enough. Carpenter's from you. not hitting that home run unless Sosa gets on base and starts the. Excitement. And to be fair, oh wait, no, never mind. No, we are giving full credit where it is deserved, and where it is deserved I'll is Matt give, Carpenter. I'll give credit to Nola for throwing that bad pitch. That home run in the fifth inning was the last hit the Cardinals had in the game. Let me say that again. The Cardinals did not have another hit in the game after Matt Carpenter hit the home run in the fifth inning. So thank God he hit it. And guys, this is something the Cardinals are going to need a lot more of moving forward because their pinch hitters, their bench so far this year has been pretty brutal. They have one of the worst OPS for bench players in all of baseball. And since Lane Thomas hit a single on April 12th before yesterday, the Cardinals bench was over 31 with one RBI. Finally, Matt Carpenter came through, and they're going to need a lot more of that because you get into these late innings, you're replacing your starter, and you've got these high-leverage situations where Arenado and Goldie are on, and you've got somebody coming into the game there to be able to knock him in. If you're not getting those big at-bats from your bench, the Cardinals are going to need to find somebody who can. And this is something, Alex, that I think is worth watching, worth monitoring as we continue over the next two months. Who steps up? Who emerges now that the Cardinals are basically healthy position player-wise coming off of the bench? If Carpenter and Austin Dean can't be those guys, if Justin Williams, now that you've got Harrison Bader back, can't be that guy, well, then they're going to have to go find somebody that can be because that's going to be important, especially once you get into the playoffs, but even before then. It's so hard, too, to find a bench bat. Like Those guys aren't all out there that can come off of the bench and hit home runs or come up with big hits for you. So, I mean, it really comes down to kind of the mental fortitude of a player that you have to be able to accept that role. And I mentioned this last week to you guys, and as much as I give Matt Carpenter crow, he can be that guy if you if you, if you you give him that opportunity. If he knows that his role is going to be pinch hitting in games, then maybe you can shift your focus to that. And look, I know he's run into some really rough times this season, but if this guy can be somebody who comes up not even a base hit, just a guy who comes to the plate and either forces the pitcher to show their cards, whether it's a bullpen guy or a late start where he's deep into account, get this guy to show all of his weapons so the rest of the team can kind of go out there and start a little bit of a rally. Get on base with a walk. Get on base with a bunt single like we've seen yeah. him do. But this is also the possibility with Matt Carpenter. Matt Carpenter coming into that game for me was probably like fourth on the depth chart of pinch hitters. Really? Who's above him? Well, and Kisner was playing, but when Yachty's healthy, Kisner's right now number one. And I probably would have Austin Dean in front of him. And then, honestly, I'd probably throw uh, Edmundo Sosa in front of Matt Carpenter just because we haven't seen a lot of Edmundo Sosa and we've seen a lot of Matt Carpenter. But Carpenter has something that none of those guys have. And it's the possibility to do what he did yesterday, which is why he will be an influential bat. And I heard you tell Danny Mac this earlier. You got to be careful with DFAing Matt Carpenter for how many people that are wanting it. And now look, I'm the president of the Cook Carp fan club, right? But you got to be careful with that because a guy like that, we just talked about Tyler Bozak. A guy like that is very influential for a team that wants to make a run to the championship because you need those older voices in the in the clubhouse yeah veterans are important you, you need them in your clubhouse and Matt Carpenter is one of those guys we talked to Tommy Edmond and he's talked about how it's Tom Edmond sorry Tom Edmond yeah. and he's talked about how Paul Goldschmidt Nolan Arenado Matt Carpenter these guys have been very influential for him Brad Miller said the same thing the guys in that clubhouse the leadership is something that stood out to him and by the way since they just played the Phillies since we talked to Brad Miller the other day 
that's one of the guys that I would be paying attention to. If you're looking for a bench bat as we get further into this season and Matt Carpenter, the cook carp movement is real and the let carp uh, cook movement has gone off and it's off of the road and it's trying to go four wheeling and it's just not working out for him. Brad Miller might be a guy that makes a ton of sense for this team. A lot of pop left-handed bat coming off of the bench. He can play basically anywhere. I think that's the type of move that the Cardinals would potentially be interested in down the stretch. I think you could make a case that bench bat or reliever, somebody that can get in that like sixth, seventh inning role where, okay, yeah, we love Alex Reyes. We love Giovanni Gallegos. We really like Jordan Hicks. Before them, who do you trust in those spots? That Those two things are starting to emerge to me as maybe even being a bigger deadline type of a need than a starting pitcher, which is what I, mean, I know Tanner thought they were going to need at the deadline coming into the season, or maybe even an outfielder. I, I don't know that they're going to need an outfielder as much as we originally thought they would if Tyler O'Neill continues playing I think it depends on Tyler O'Neill and Harrison 100%. Bader because if either of those guys don't become the everyday option for you, then you go get yourself a everyday bat, and then you kill two birds with one stone there. Uh, by putting one of those guys that's the everyday on your bench and have that weapon there. I'm not I, I'm not so quick to say they're going to need a reliever. And look, it hasn't been pretty right now. Like, there are three guys that we feel comfortable with, and that's about it. I would but, say four. Helsley. I know, I know your boy, Helsley. Cabrera. Circle. No, no. no. Well, well you C- C- Cabrera's hit and miss. Cabrera's a guy Literally. that I... That that was unnecessary from you, t- uh, BK. <laughs> that was unintentional. Uh, kind of like his hit by pitch. Oh, um, okay. I, okay. I, I, I think Hennessy Cabrera, there are moments where he looks completely unhittable. And there are also moments where it looks like he doesn't know where the ball's going, as we have seen over the last that's, couple of days. So That's a bad man to have out of your bullpen. Yeah, well, it, it can be bad in both ways, no, right? Yeah, it, I was doing the slang bad. Like, that's a bad man. Yeah, it can go either way for him. So I, I think that... It's possible they don't need a reliever at the deadline. It's totally just, in play. I'm thinking it's also that, possible they might. I'm just thinking of the options that you have when you get to the September call-ups and then you can kind of decide where you want to go with it because you're going to have Levator who's going to be a bullpen pitcher for you. I truly believe that. The same with Zach Thompson. Ponce de Leon is going to be... Oviedo might be an option at that and point. And that's where I was pen. going. I mean, there's four guys right there. And sure. if Miles Michaelis is back, John Gant might be pushed to the bullpen. So... I'm not as too concerned about relievers because I think you have a lot of good guys. It's just a matter of when health is working in your favor, you can get back to that. I'm looking more at a bat or a starting pitcher. That's where I've always been with it. If you were to rank right now, Tanner, I'll, I'll, I want to get you in on this as well. If you were to rank right now the most likely acquisition for the Cardinals at the deadline, if we go outfielder, bench bat, bullpen arm, or starter, those four things, outfielder, bullpen arm or starter how would you rank those right now tanner i think bench bat would be number one because you talked about it that was the first hit in 31 some at bats or something along those lines number two (laughs) number two for me would be i I think the outfield i think the outfield's still a big question mark for this cardinals team it's still honestly kind of lacking behind so i'll say two would be the outfield Three, I would say starting pitching because I like what I've seen so far from the starters. And then four would be the bullpen because I have no concerns with the bullpen. Would you do the same thing in as terms of right of your now? Order? No, mine would be starting pitcher number one, then an outfield bat, then a bench bat, then a reliever. Because I think the outfield bat, if you get yourself an everyday player like, and I'm just throwing names out here, a Trey Mancini or a Joey Gallo or a Mitch Hanniger, if you get one of these guys, yep. 
then Tyler O'Neill or Harrison Bader becomes that bench bat for you. And you still have Lane Thomas, and I know people are down on him, but he might be an option still. So I'd say starter's my first option, and then an outfielder who can spell Harrison Bader or Tyler O'Neill is the second one. It's interesting because we're all on kind of different wavelengths right now, which which I love. I, I've got similar to uh, Tanner in terms of my list. I would go bench bat one, outfielder two, and then bullpen arm three with the starter as my least likely addition at the deadline. I I like what they have right now in the rotation. I'm starting to buy into what they have, but I've always been the, out of the three of us, the highest on what they have uh, starting wise. And I think Oviedo is a big part of why I'm so high on that rotation. I, whether he ends up in the bullpen later on this season or in the rotation, I think he's a he's a guy that when they make the postseason mm-hmm. will have significant appearances in that postseason, one way or another. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. Six five seven eight zero is the Air Comfort Service text line. We've got questions and answers coming up in about fifteen minutes or so. Coming up next, we'll give you our favorite picks from last night's NFL draft, our least favorite picks of last night's NFL draft, and Tanner's got an interesting winner from the night. That's coming up next on one hundred and one ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. In addition to the one this year, next year's one, five this year, four next year. The Bears are coming up. It looks like quarterback time again in Chicago. With the 11th pick. In the 2021 NFL Draft, my Chicago Bears select Justin Fields, quarterback, Ohio State. Other than winning the Super Bowl, I'll argue with you that's the greatest day in the history of the freaking franchise in my lifetime. They moved up and they got a competent quarterback? Are you kidding me? Since 16, when the Cubs won the World Series, it's the greatest day in Chicago sports. Name me a better one. That was David Kaplan earlier today on ESPN with Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. Blackhawk Stanley Cup victories. I think he was talking about the Bears. Oh, I thought he said Chicago sports. Didn't he? Because he said other than the Cubs winning the World Series. Since 2016. Since the last five years. Blackhawks have been terrible since then. (laughs) That is accurate. I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Let's go through some NFL draft superlatives, guys. The reason why I wanted to hear all of that is because my biggest winner from the night, and that's what we'll start with here, the biggest winner from last night's first round of the NFL draft was the Bears. The Bears fans, Justin Fields. I don't know how it happened. I can't believe that it happened. But they were able to trade up to number 11 to be able to select their quarterback of the future in Justin Fields. I think there is a non-zero chance. In fact, I think it's like a pretty good chance that he ends up at worst as the second best quarterback out of this year's class. And I think there's a chance he is better than Trevor Lawrence in the NFL, especially now that we know where they both landed. I think Justin Fields is going to be awesome for the Chicago Bears. They were my biggest winner last night with that pick. Yeah, they were mine as well. I'll give you a different one because I don't want to go the same, but they were mine as well. And, look, I was really worried Chicago was about to pull another Mitch Trubisky and take Mac Jones there. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, don't do it. Chicago might burn tonight. But luckily they made the right choice, and I'm, I'm with you. I think Justin Fields is going to be better than Trey Lance. I think Justin Fields is going to be better than Zach Wilson. I think he's going to be the second best quarterback from this draft. This screams an awful lot like, and I know it's not going to be the same, but a lot like what Kansas City did with Patrick Mahomes in terms of everyone overlooking this guy, not talking enough about him, and he's going to go out there and run away with it. So It since, reminds me just like same draft. Yeah. 
And obviously, we have to set aside the off-field stuff now, right? Yeah. Uh, I'm not comparing them as, as people the same way. But you know how Deshaun Watson, like, there yes. was ev- everything was there. We saw him do it at the highest of levels. And they there kept were, ignoring it. And it was like, why isn't anybody taking this guy? And eventually, the Texans trade up. They're yeah. able to get their guy. And we all know what it looked like on the field ever since then. That's what the Justin Fields pick really reminded me exactly. of. Exactly. That's a great comparison. So since you went with the... the um, with the Bears, I'm going to go with the Broncos fans. This is my biggest winners, and here's why. Interesting. One, they got themselves a pretty damn good defensive player in Patrick Sertan, cornerback, on top of the fact that they loaded in that area this offseason. Their defense is going to be probably the best in the National Football League this season. But with the rumors that came out before the draft started, if you're telling me as a Broncos fan, that I'm going to select a cornerback ninth overall and make my defense one of the best on top of me getting Aaron Rodgers, and I know it's not confirmed yet, blah, 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 the Packers are saying, oh, we're not going to trade him. He's going to go to Denver. And if that's where this comes away from on draft day in the first round, Denver Broncos fans, congratulations because you were my big winner because they might be in the Super Bowl this season. Tanner, who you got as your biggest winner from last night in the first round? I don't have a specific team as a big winner, but who doesn't don't love say a good all of us? Uh, no, uh, no. But who doesn't love a good reunion? Come on, we saw four of them last night. Travis Etienne, Trevor Lawrence are going to be playing for the Jaguars. We've got Jalen Waddle going to be teaming back up with Tua. Uh, Jamar Chase is with Joe Burrow. You got Hurts teaming back up with Smith. I mean, come on. A fan, it's like a family reunion. Everybody loves those. We've got four of them, and we've still got more rounds to go. So, family like reunions are my winner. With that, with that being said, this is going to transition to my big loser because the Cincinnati Bengals are my big loser. Why the hell are you going, Jamar? I don't care that you're going a reunion and Jamar Chase is going to break every record in Cincinnati because he's back with Joe Burrow. You're not catching the ball if the guy's holding his ACL on the ground after week one, how do you not draft a left tackle there to protect your 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 quarterback? I get it. It's a generational wide receiver they're hoping for. You're going with the, the one-two punch of Burrow and Chase. That's a dumb pick. And the dumber part is the fact that the Cincinnati Bengals listen to their quarterback more than the Green Bay Packers listen to their quarterback. <laughs> so I'm glad you mentioned that. My biggest loser from the night is the Packers. <laughs> oh, yeah, Not only good. do you hear early in the day that your quarterback <laughs> wants out, but then <laughs> in response to that, you select what most people, the consensus was, is a second round at best corner out of Georgia. And Eric Stokes with your first round pick. Man, wouldn't you want to at least like, hey, Aaron, we know you're very unhappy and you're saying you're not going to come play for us. But, hey, we, we've got some wide receivers or uh, offensive line, whatever, something on the offensive side of the ball that we think can come in and help you right away. Back? Come on, man. And instead you go out there and you get another corner. Alex, in the last 10 first round picks that the Packers have selected, nine of them. Nine of them have been defenders. The only offensive player they have selected with their last 10 first-round picks was Jordan Love last year, their current backup quarterback. So why do you think it is that Aaron Rodgers is a little unhappy? Maybe for that reason. Maybe you should go out there and get him some guys offensively that could help him. You know what happened, right? Like yesterday afternoon, he called up the, uh, the Green Bay Packers war room, and he said, hey, guys, look. This, uh, this hasn't been pretty between both of us. I want to be back here. Let's just talk about the draft. Who are we going with? We're taking a cornerback, Aaron. Damn it. I'm out. <laughs> I'm not coming back. 
<laughs> I've had enough. I'm done. We'll talk more about that and where he could potentially land later on today. Tanner, who's your biggest loser from last night? I'm kind of with you. I'm not sticking with the Packers because I don't mind the pick as much. My biggest loser, though, is Packers fans because what yeah. that pick showed me was they know that it's over with Aaron Rodgers. They know, they knew it was over, so they said, screw it. We're not going to look to improve the offense. We're going to improve the defense. So let's take this corner out of Georgia. I feel bad for Packers fans because now they're going to have to watch Jordan Love instead of Aaron Rodgers. What was your guys' favorite pick? Favorite pick from round number one. It doesn't have to be, like, the best player. But for whatever reason, you, you love the fit, and it's just your favorite selection from the first round. Mine was Justin Fields, and I, I think that's a that's a – easy picture sure. but I really like that the other one I really liked is I liked Najee Harris to Pittsburgh I, I mean that's the that's the prototypical Pittsburgh running back and that's the one thing that they haven't had on top of an offensive line but I would hope that they're going to upgrade on that they better they if they don't they're insane but look the defense is good you got the quarterback who might be good, might be bad, who knows, and then the receiving cores. You just needed a running back, and James Conner wasn't it. So I liked the pick. So between Fields and Najee Harris, those two are my favorite picks. I actually really liked Najee Harris as well. The best pick for me, my favorite one at least, is Rashad Bateman, the wide receiver out of Minnesota, going to the Ravens late in the first round. Yeah, that's big. Listen, I, I'm done with the excuses for Lamar Jackson as a passer now. You've got Sammy Watkins. You bring him in over the offseason. You already had... Marquise Hollywood Brown as a deep field stretcher. And now you add into the mix Rashad Bateman as he one of my favorite receivers in this year's draft. He's big. He can run any route that you want him to. He's really good after the catch. Rashad Bateman's going to go in there and immediately be a starter for the Baltimore Ravens. You add that to Mark Andrews as well. Those are really good pass catchers. I don't want to hear any more excuses this year about Lamar Jackson as a passer. We know how great he is on the ground. Let's see it this year as a passer. Tanner, who was your favorite pick? I really love the Chargers taking Rashawn Slater out of Northwestern. They realize that they have to protect their rookie quarterback, unlike Cincinnati and Joe Burrow thinking that he can just throw the ball even if guys are in his face. I love the fact that the Chargers are going to solidify the offensive line so Herbert has time to throw. I really love this pick for the L.A. Chargers. I think it's going to help them this year. I think they have a chance to be a playoff team this year. That was my best value pick, and I know that's what we're going to wrap things up. Him going at 13th I think was huge. Part of me was wondering if Sewell was going to drop that low and then the Detroit Lions took him. That's an also great value pick for that player. Mm-hmm. But I, I do like Rashawn Slater going to the Chargers because the one glaring hole that they had was protecting Justin Herbert. They got everything else. So I'm with Tanner. I think they're going to be a playoff team that can make some noise this year because of that pick. My best value is one that might surprise some people. Trevor Lawrence. It's the Patriots taking Mac Jones. They didn't have to trade up. I'm not the biggest Mac Jones fan, but I think he's going to be solid in the NFL. I didn't have an issue with Mac Jones, the player. I had an issue with giving up three first-round picks, if you're the 49ers, to move up to number three for the right to select what I think is Jimmy Garoppolo 2.0, basically. But if you're the Patriots and he falls to you at 15 and he's there for the taking and you don't have an answer long-term for your quarterback situation – yeah, go ahead and take the guy that fits with what you want to do offensively. I really liked it. He's my best value pick from last night. Did you Tanner? see him walk out onto the stage? Like, that was the most determined pace to somebody, make it to the stage. Somebody put side-by-side of Mac Jones walking to the stage with 
that you remember that oh, video yeah, of Belichick. Bill Belichick yeah, walking it. out to the field? God, they have the same walk. It is definitely, it makes sense that they're going to be on the same team together. Tanner, who was your favorite value last night? My favorite value was Jones to New England as well. I'm, I'm like a little it. bit higher on him than UBK. I think he fits into New England system perfectly. And I'm just going to go out and say it with him going to New England, which I thought could be the case early into this draft process until San Francisco traded up. And then I got a little worried about my thinking there. I think Jones in this system has the potential to be the best quarterback to come out of this draft in New England and maybe not have the reign that Tom Brady had in New England winning six Super Bowls. Yeah, that ain't happening. But I could see him in this reign with Belichick, depending how long he's there, winning two Super Bowls with Mac Jones as quarterback. Damn. Okay. I see you, I, I, I love this pick. I love I Mac Jones Field going to pick. New England. I think Fields wins the Super Bowl before Mac Jones. That's a good question. Out of all of the quarterbacks in this year's draft, Tanner, who do you think wins one first? Well, it's not Lawrence. Or is Wilson. I don't think it's Lawrence. I'm not. I don't think it's going to be Wilson. I, I think it will be Mac Jones. I think Jones will win a Super Bowl first among everybody. I don't think Fields will. Fields might be the only the guy that's probably closest to him, if I had really? to guess. I think Trey Lance could. That's the one that I would I'd go with. i put Lance first, and then i put Fields second, Jones third. Oh, wait, does I it think count the 49ers are, are right there. They are right on the cusp, and they needed that last piece. I, think he's gonna I don't think good. he's going to start this year. I think they're going to sit him this year, and they're going to go with the Patrick Mahomes plan, but I think he would be my selection for this of the first one to win yeah. a Super Bowl. I think I think Zach Wilson's going to be the last one to win a Super Bowl because Zach Wilson looks like he's an eighth grade. <laughs> He looks like Zac Efron from High School Musical, Zach man. Wilson, <laughs> Zach Wilson. I look not, older than Zach Wilson. That's true. That is true. Zach Wilson got under my skin last night because there was nothing more obnoxious than him taking selfies in his hotel room or working out and putting these weird, like, eighth-grade Facebook status tweets of, uh, new suit, look good, now for the draft. Get out of here, I got, Zach. I got All a right, question for one. you. Yeah, which, of these, which of these five quarterbacks do you think uh, doesn't last the longest? Wilson. Who gets moved Zach on Wilson. first? I agree. Wilson. Wilson. He, he might be broken in the first week. Last one for you guys. Biggest reach last night. The the pick <laughs> that you, you watched it, you were like, oh, my I God, know. you did what? I think all of us, I think we're going to clean sweep this. It's the Vegas Raiders. <laughs> yep. What the hell are they doing? Like, what are they doing? Guys, I am convinced. I, and I'm, I'm not, I'm half kidding, but I'm not kidding. I think that. John Gruden and uh, Mike Mayock literally watch the college football playoffs, and that is their entire pool of candidates that they're willing to draft. Like, it, it is Clemson, Ohio State, Alabama every year. Those are the only schools that they're selecting from. So, of course, they're taking Alex Leatherwood. There was no other Alabama, Ohio State, or Clemson they guy that they could take. Colton Miller? Yeah. Well, Alex Leatherwood, the thing, the knock against him is he's probably a guard. You got short arms. You just drafted a guard in the first round when you have so many weaknesses on your team. Their best wide receiver is left in free agency. Yeah, it's oh my god, it's quite the pick. Yikes! Is that your same one, Tanner? Yeah, I couldn't, I could not believe it. Didn't they do this last year too? Didn't they take like a defense? Maybe it was two years ago. They took a defensive end, like yeah. fourth overall. Everybody's like, what are they doing? That guy's like a second Cleland round. Cleveland Farrell. Yeah, Cleveland Farrell was a top five pick for them out of Clemson because, of course. God. And everybody else thought, like, late first would be the kind of place that you would see him go. It was, it was incredible. Keep on keeping on, John Gruden. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Get your questions in because questions and answers coming up next. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Six five 
5780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers coming up in about 10 minutes or so. The Cardinals outfield gets a little bit more crowded as Harrison Bader was activated yesterday. What does that mean for the playing time moving forward? We'll talk about that in about 10 minutes or so. But right now, let's start with this one. Guys, from the 314, I think I preferred the virtual draft last year to what we saw last night. Do you feel the same way? What'd you guys think? Virtual draft last year versus what we watched last night. Which did you prefer? Virtual draft, 100%. It was more entertaining. And I look, anytime I see Roger Goodell in person and the more he talks, the more I'm just like, oh my God, get this guy off stage. And I know what they were doing. They were promoting COVID relief yesterday. And I thought that was a cool thing, bringing the fans up on stage and letting them sit there. But then the more I'm looking at it, I'm like, okay, but well, what's going on here? You let him sit in the chair and then you come out and announce the pick. And then finally they started letting people announce the picks. It's like, what are we doing here? Give me more virtual drafts because, frankly, it goes faster, and I get the entertainment of Bill Belichick's dog. That was incredible. Cliff Kingsbury sitting in just a palace, and then you'd get the Dallas Cowboys being the Dallas Cowboys. Yeah, I'm with you. I think I'd rather have it virtually. I, to me, I don't. It's not that big a deal either way. I mean, it's a draft. I I could care Sorry, less. Grandpa. Just yeah, you know, I wouldn't mind sitting at Goodell's chair though. That looked kind of comfy. Oh, come on. That that was cheesy. That was, was weird, very right? cheesy. We can all it agree was. that was weird. What? Him that, bringing his chair from last year yeah. from his... Uh, That's like someone giving you a tie after a game, right? I like. I, I, I appreciate them trying something that's different. I, I respect that. But it was kind of weird. He was... When he announced it, I was like, hold on, you're doing what? They get the right to sit in the chair that you did the draft from last year when you were telling us about how much you liked M&Ms as you were, like, drowsing off late into the night. And then he, like, slowly disrobes. It's like, (laughs) what's going on here, Roger? Like, do you did you forget you have a camera in here? It was dumb. I I prefer the virtual draft as well. And one thing that I so the Rams tonight, we're going to see their draft room and they apparently like rented out this place in Malibu. That is similar to what we saw last Keep year where strong, Kingsbury. I, I know we hate the Rams here. I get that. I actually like this idea in the future. I like for teams to like do something that's unique and different and cool. Kind of similar to what the Rams are doing with this. You, you make a, an event out of it. But I would like to see more it. of that. Like, don't promote it. Like, I got no issues Cliff with it. Kingsbury doing it that way where they just panned to him and he's sitting in there with this like backyard fire and it's like Damn! Like, don't promote. Hey, we bought. Like, it feels like that kid that's trying to one up the other guy with his car or something like that. I'm fine with it. I I, I prefer stuff like that as opposed to yeah. last night after seeing what we saw last year, where you've got like Dave Gettleman in a closet and we're not really sure what's going on there. The Dallas Cowboys looked like they were in like a panic room, like underneath the building. Jerry Jones was on his yacht. <laughs> Remember? Yeah. Like Mike Vrabel with one of his kids sitting on yeah. the pot behind him. I mean, it was it, that was a lot more entertaining to be able to see these guys in their natural element Can than I what we saw request? last night. Can I make a request for future drafts? Please. Can the first round pick just put their pick in before the damn thing starts? Why did we have to wait 10 minutes for them to announce Trevor Lawrence? Commercials, man. There were no commercials from when they started to when Trevor Lawrence was picked. It was just straight analysis. I know, but they've got to get those commercials in over the course of whatever, the four hours. That's that's why. I know people don't want to hear that, but that's why. Then give the third team 20 minutes to pick so we can not sit here and wait to find out. Like we're watching Trevor Lawrence's living room and him sitting there, ooh, impatiently wondering if he's going to be selected. Like give me more pans to Mac Jones. 
selected Did you at hear all. what they said about that pick, by the way? Apparently, they've been installing their offense with Trevor Lawrence for the last month. Where they're calling him and saying, like, hey, here's here's what you need to be prepared for. Tampering? I mean, they knew. Who, in the past, remember, you could, like, negotiate contracts with these guys. Yeah, you don't have they, to do that Bradford, anymore. Yeah, so I think it was... I remember it was the night before the NFL draft when the Houston Texans had the number one overall pick. And I think they offered Mario Williams and Reggie Bush the same contract and they, Mario Williams was willing to accept it. I, I believe that's how it went. And so they ended up selecting Mario Williams number one overall in that draft. That used to be the way that we did things where you knew prior to it who was going number one officially. They would like actually have the contract ready to go. So I didn't have an issue with that, but... Yeah, it, it was sit here for 45 minutes waiting to find out what I already knew. Trevor Lawrence and Zach Wilson were going to the Jaguars and Jets. That was a wonderful time to sit around and look at Mike Greenberg on the desk. Six five seven eight zero is the air comfort service sex line from the three one four guys. Tanner would like to go back to doing the draft like they did back in his day when they had it by telegram. Telegram. He's going to have a horse and buggy bring the draft pick up to Roger Goodell. Not true. That would take too long. <laughs> Well, you start out a week before the draft. You time it out correctly. Uh, no, I, I was. I'm with you. I'm let you preach about. We didn't have to see the first two picks. I'm not going to do it via telegram. We'd still be. We'd be on like pick twelve right now. Tanner w- w- wants to go back to the days of Paul Revere when he was Paul going Revere. around saying the Patriots are coming. The, the Jaguars Patri- are selecting Lawrence. The Jaguars <laughs> are selecting Lawrence. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks and I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up next, the Cardinals outfields get more crowded and Harrison Bader. Guys, I think he's going to be out there every day. We'll talk about it next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. One, two, pitch. Gets away. Here comes O'Neal. He will score, and the Cardinals win it. A wild pitch, and Tyler O'Neal scores the winning run. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. That's what it sounded like yesterday as Tyler O'Neill, one of the main outfielders for this Cardinals team right now, put the game-winning run across the board. And, guys, there is another outfielder that has officially joined the mix. Yesterday it was announced that the Cardinals have activated Harrison Bader. So now you have what we thought were going to be the three starting outfielders coming into the season. It was supposed to be O'Neill in left, Bader in center, Carlson and Wright. That's why they moved on from Dexter Fowler. That was going to be the outfield configuration that we were all anticipating. We haven't seen that yet because Bader's ha- Bader spent the entire first month of the season on the injured list. So Alex, now that he's back, what do you think the role is for him? Is he going to start every day? Are we going to see him platoon with Justin Williams? What What are your ex- expectations for what we'll see playing time-wise with Harrison Bader now that he's b- returned? If he would have come back when Justin Williams was playing some strong offense for the team, I'd say, yeah, he's going to split time with Justin Williams because you can't take him out of the lineup. But, I mean, Justin Williams now, and I'm just going back to double-check this, Justin Williams, he's gone 0 for 8 in his last two games. He two has for an, 26 in his yeah, last nine. I mean, that to me says, you got your shot, Justin Harrison Bader's going back in, and, you know, if Bader or, or O'Neal struggle, then you'll get your shot. Um, but my, my guess would be that once 
Memphis starts their season. Justin, no, he's out of options, isn't he? No, he's got the extra one, remember? Yep. Then my guess is once Memphis starts, Justin Williams will find his way down to be an everyday player, and Dean will be that fourth outfielder. But for now, yeah, I think Bader becomes an everyday center fielder for you because this is the this is the outfield that you wanted to find out what you had, and you need to play these guys every day. Yeah, I'm with you. I, I, Williams will probably start the season in AAA once we get to that point. And I'm curious to see Bader. I want to see if he's made any adjustments against right-handed pitching. I, I don't think he has, but I, I still want to see. And like you said, Alex, you want to learn what this outfield is. And we're finally at where we thought we were going to be heading into the season, where you were going to have Edmund at second base every day. O'Neill's going to be in left, Bader's in center field. I, What I'm curious to see is if he struggles against right-handed pitching, then who becomes his platoon guy when it when it comes to right-handed pitching? I don't know who it would be because, like I said, I, you said and I said that I think Williams is going to start the season, the minor league season there in AAA with Memphis. Does that mean – Dean becomes that guy? Or does Carpenter become that guy? I'm interested to see what the platoon will become if Bader struggles against right-handed pitching. Yeah, see, that's the thing is I don't know that they have an option right now. It was supposed to be Justin Williams, but guys, let's be honest. He's cooled off. He had like a week where he looked pretty good at the plate, but now on the season, and this is, I know it's a small sample size, but this is all we have to go by. He's had 75 plate appearances in 25 games, which is not nothing. It's a small sample size, but not nothing. He's batting 169. He has a 540 OPS. I can get that from uh, Harrison Bader against right-handed pitching. And so if I'm comparing a guy that is, even if you think he's a little overrated defensively, a really capable center fielder in Harrison Bader, uh, defensively at least, or the guy that has been at times making miraculous plays in right or left field in Justin Williams, but has also missed some of the routine plays and offensively, I'm at worst not getting a whole lot worse than Justin Williams is. I think you're going to see Harrison Bader playing every single day in center field. They're going to find out what this looks like between O'Neal, Bader, and Carlson. And let's see where we are a month, two months from now. And if Bader has struggled mightily against right-handed pitching, maybe then, Alex, to our conversation earlier, that's when you start looking for somebody in the outfield that's a left-handed bat that can kind of platoon with Harrison Bader, even if they go to the corner against righties. And if he does play well, if he shows the improvements that Tanner was just talking about, then you just continue throwing those guys out there every day. But for the foreseeable future, I see no reason not to play Harrison Bader. Nobody else has been able to work their way into the mix. They gave the opportunity to Matt Carpenter. He failed. They gave the opportunity to Justin Williams. And again, small sample size, but he didn't force their hand. And so now what you're going to see, I think, is Harrison Bader playing out there every day because nobody else forced the Cardinals to have their name in that conversation. So when he's back, and if I'm not mistaken, they made the the moves by placing Miller on that the COVID-protected list mm-hmm. and then Miller on the IL. Um, if Bader's back, and tell me what you guys think, I'm putting Justin Williams down at the alternate, uh, alternate camp, and I'm bringing up another pitcher. Because I, I think I would – I just want another arm in that bullpen. For the right here and now? Yeah. I don't think you need to yet just because they, they just brought back Whitley yesterday. So you've got him up in, in place of Andrew Miller. And eventually, I don't know what the move's going to be, but Johan Oviedo was also sent down. Well, he, so he'll be back, back up eventually as well. So maybe that's when it will happen is when Oviedo comes up. But 
I think when Nagowski returns, maybe that's when you see Justin Williams go down. Uh, th- th- that would be the type of a move. And then we'll see with Andrew Miller what happens there as well. I don't know if you need five outfielders. I don't think you do. I, I don't think for the long term that's something that they will need, and I don't think that's something they'll do. I think Austin Dean has earned that fourth outfield. Oh, yeah, spot. that's what I'm saying. Austin yep. Dean's there, and Justin Williams, for me, he showed me a peak of what he could be, and, and I think he could be a very useful outfielder, maybe not an everyday guy, but a fourth guy, kind of like an Austin Dean moving forward. So I want him to just go get reps, like go put him down in Memphis and let him play. Yep. Because, again, if he can find his at-bats and get some consistency, I think he's a really good fourth outfielder. And for next you. week is when the minor league season begins, right, yeah. Tanner? That's correct. I think it starts, I want to say like Tuesday, Tuesday, I think. Yeah. Is it Tuesday? Because they're not doing Monday games this year. I think that's the – or they are doing Monday or Sunday, whichever Monday, one. I think they're getting Monday off, and then they play six straight. There you go. So they're they're going to get Mondays off, and then they'll play basically Tuesday through Sunday this season. So I think that's the way they're configuring the uh, the schedule. I wouldn't be stunned, Alex, to your point, if Justin Williams ends up down in AAA to open up their season on Tuesday. That wouldn't shock me. I, I could see that being a possibility. And I think that's probably the best possible answer for the Cardinals. I know people are sick of watching it. I understand that you guys um, don't want to – there are some that do not want to see Harrison Bader out there every day, but these guys had the first month of the season to show themselves and to prove themselves. And nobody proved enough for me to objectively sit back and say, yeah, you should play that person over Harrison Bader. Bader's really good defensively. He gives you a solid at bat against lefties in particular, and he's, no worse than these other guys against right-handed pitching. So I think you're going to see him out there every day, and I think that's the way that we are going to see the Cardinals moving forward with the outfield. I'm going to be interested to see what it looks like. Yeah. One thing, like if you have any one disappointment about the Cardinals so far this year, I think it would probably be their outfield defense. And I think that gets shored up once you have Carlson, Bader, and O'Neal out there every day. I, agree. I don't think we're going to see the same mistakes in the outfield that we had been seeing previously. It's going to help your starters go deeper. It's going to help your starters make sure that they're not giving up those blow-up innings the way that they were previously because a lot of those end up going for extra bases. And I, th- I think that's going to help their pitching quite a bit. Yeah, and they got that base stealer back, baby. So here comes more stolen bases. Where do you hit him? Do you put him eighth? Hell yeah, I'd put him eighth. I'd put him ninth, frankly, and move the pitcher up. That's that's what I would do, but I don't think I don't they'll do that. I don't know why people don't listen to me more. but Yeah, the, the Cardinals, I remember we talked with uh, Michael Gersh at the beginning of the season. I think it was on opening day, and I asked him about the lineup configuration, and we did ask about mm-hmm. the pitcher. Do you bat him eighth? Do you bat him ninth? He said there's basically no difference in terms of the uh, the I'd evidence that. that they've seen. I'd argue that. Uh, from what they have seen, it shows no real tangible difference. The only thing that you would see is like Harrison Bader would get walked a lot more if you put him eighth in front of the pitcher spot. And that's, I think that's something I would sign up for. I, I want him getting on base. I would probably hit him seventh just because the, the reason you kind of said was, yeah, he's maybe going to get the walks, but he chases a lot too. So I, what I would do is I would hit him seventh. And the way Kisner's swinging the bat, hitting 300 over the last week, I think he's got a good enough eye. He's drawn two walks. He's only struck out once, so he's showing good uh, plate discipline up, up at the plate. I would hit him eighth in front of the pitcher spot. If I'm a pitcher and I walk Harrison Bader, my manager better pull me out of the game. <laughs> With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up in 15 minutes, where is the best landing spot for Aaron Rodgers if he is actually traded this offseason, which seems more possible by the hour? We'll get to that in 15 minutes. Coming up next, former Cardinal, former Pittsburgh Pirate, Andy Van Slyke going to join the show on 101 ESPN. 
This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. We are live from the E&B Granite Studio at the Centene Community Ice Center, and I'm very happy to go out to the Brownie and Crouppen Celebrity Line to be joined by Andy Van Slyke, 13-year MLB career in baseball. He played for St. Louis and, of course, Pittsburgh as well, and we are happy to talk with him prior to this Cardinals versus Pirates series. Andy, we always appreciate the time, man. How are you doing today? Well, my standard answer is I'm doing better than I deserve, so it's good talking with you. <laughs> it's good talking with you as well. Andy, I, I was looking back, and I was thinking about, as I was watching the Cardinals game last night, Willie McGee and you playing with him back in the day. What are your favorite yep. memories of playing with Willie McGee? Oh, just um, I, I, I think what you what you see in Willie McGee is what you don't see uh, basically anywhere at the big league level anymore, a humbleness in the, in the process of success. And I think it's, it's very charming. And I think it's something that I think real baseball fans miss that, that here's a guy that was um, almost embarrassed that he was beating the other team out of respect. And uh, he had respect for his teammates and he had respect for his opponents. And yet um, he tried to uh, take all that success and try to deflect it to his teammates and to the game itself. And now he's on the Cardinals coaching staff, and I love that he's able to work with some of these young guys, and so many of them have given him so much credit for what they're mm-hmm. able to do defensively in the outfield. What was it like for you? What did you learn from Willie, and, and what is he able to now pass on to some of these young guys that are in the Cardinals outfield that they're using this year? Well, I, you know, I think um, – you know, as I coached at the big league level and, and, and coached at the uh, outfielders, that um, first of all, you have to assess what kind of talent they have um, and what kind of instincts do they have. And, uh, you know, William McGee's baseball intelligence obviously is very high. And so I think the application of, of learning somebody's talent and learning how to play the game at that level um, is the reason why he's there. And, you know, defensively, if if you got skill and you're willing to work at it, um, there's no reason why he can't get better. And I, you know, that's the thing about William McGee. He, he, he played hard, he worked hard, and uh, he had fun doing it. And I think, you know, as a coach, if you did that as a player, uh, and the players will figure that out that you did that, um, you've got no reason to get better and work at your craft. Speaking of talent, Andy, a lot of people in St. Louis are talking about one of these Cardinals outfielders, and it's Dylan Carlson. I'm curious your thoughts on this young kid, what you've seen from him and what he brings to the field and the uh, into the team every day. Well, you know, he brings a presence, obviously. Um, you know, the, the, the fact that he made that, that nice throw, you know, his footwork was a little messed up at the time. Um, he's just going to get better. I mean, He's got enough arm strength. He's got enough speed, and he's got enough power. Uh, he, you know, and he switch hits. That there's absolutely no reason why, you know, he's going to go through cycles where he doesn't hit, you know. But I haven't seen any lapses defensively, and that's that's really credit to, to Willie McGee and to his uh, his ability. That uh, you know, if things don't go right offensively, he doesn't have a collapse defensively. So uh, that is something that I think. Um, 
that you got to respect and you know really learning to play on both sides of the field at a young age takes a little bit of time it seems like he's doing a really good job at it and Andy what really impressed me from his start defensively is that I mean all basically spring training he was expecting to play right field that's where they thought that he was going to play the majority of the time this year with Bader and center Mm -hmm. and then Bader gets hurt and he's able to slide over and did pretty well all things considered in center field how difficult I know you had to do that at times as well how difficult is that transition going from right field when you're expecting to be there to suddenly now you're the everyday starter in center. Well, it depends if you're a center fielder or not. And, you know, I, I still think the jury's out on that. Look, here's the thing about about the three diff, the uh, three defensive plays positions, I should say, in the outfield. Uh, a center fielder, a really good center fielder, can play right or left. But not every right fielder and left fielder can play center field. And so, the fact that he's in center field, like, you know, the Cardinals. Really, he, I mean, they're probably that's the only option they have, either that or O'Neill. But um, that the level of of his comfort will continue to grow. And, and who knows, he may end up there, you know, for a decade playing center field and that I don't know, but um, he's good enough in center field. He's really good in right field. And he certainly could play left field if he had to. So I think that's really important to remember that not every right field and left field can play center, but he certainly can. Andy, I, I now, think is, the, is it gold glove level? Probably not yet, but uh, there's, there's a chance. Andy, I think the biggest uh, a gripe from a lot of Cardinals fans over Harrison Bader, who has been activated and expected to be in the lineup later today, is that the offense doesn't match the defense. The defense no. is superb. The offense just kind of hasn't been there. In today's game, can you utilize a player who is superb defensively but just not right offensively as an everyday player? Well, it depends. If Greg Greg Luzinski was on the team playing left field, sure. You stick him out there in the you know eighth and ninth inning. Or, or Lonnie Smith for that. Whatever my, my point being is that at some point for him to stay in the big leagues, he's going to, he's going to have to do better. I mean, sure. He can run and you know he can go catch the ball. Um, and he's, you know, he's a good thrower. I wouldn't say he's a great thrower, but you know, as far as go getting the ball, he's good at it, but that's not good enough. And so um, I understand, you know, the fans frustration. And at some point, the Cardinals' patience is going to run out, and he's not going to be at the big league level until he hits. I mean, it's just that's just a fact. You know, I'm not trying to be mean to the guy, or and I don't think fans are being mean, but um, you know, he's got to utilize the talent that he has, and he hasn't done that. He doesn't get on base enough, he doesn't walk enough, and he, and he strikes out too much. So if that changes, you got yourself a pretty darn good center fielder. Andy Vance like joining us here on 101 ESPN, three-time All-Star, five-time Gold Glover, two-time Silver Slugger, played for both the Pirates and the Cardinals who meet this weekend. And Andy, on, on Harrison Bader, as a little bit of a follow-up to that, I think the frustration for so many fans is that it's the same issue over and over. It's that sure. down in a way that continuously ends up getting him out. As a Whether it be the hitting coach or, or just a coach on the staff, is there anything you can do to help him with that, or is that just I something would. that Bader eventually has to overcome himself? Well, he's going to have to convince himself he's not a home run hitter, number one. It, it, you know, it, I don't, you know, in today's game, um, for some reason, everybody wants to hit the ball over the fence. Well, you know, not everybody's built to hit the ball over the fence. Now, I don't know if he's trying to do that, to be honest with you, but it certainly looks like he is. I mean, there's no reason why somebody should strike out as much as he does. He ought to choke up, which he doesn't do. He ought to try to hit the ball on the ground, which he doesn't do enough of. And 
if, if you change your mind first, here's the thing. Your body's always going to fo- follow your mind. If you change your mind about how you approach big league pitching, you should see results. So um, is he there? I don't know. And I have never personally talked to him, but it certainly like, looks like he hasn't made a change in the way he approaches a big league baseball pitcher. Andy, another player I wanted to ask you about is Tommy Edmond. We've seen this guy as an everyday second baseman, but he's also gotten outfield positions. And you played with a man uh, well-known here in St. Louis called the secret weapon in Jose mm-hmm. Akendo. But Tommy Edmond seems like another one of these guys to where he could play shortstop, third base, second base, the outfield if you need him to, but that bat follows his defensive play. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's, <clears throat> he is um... – Here's the thing. I, I think on a really good team, you know, he, he's as important as you know your your five, you know, your five, six, seven hitter, because you can, you, know, you you can you can play him. Someone's hurt. He can play there. He can play second. You know, he can play third. He can play the outfield. And you know that's that's really a priceless talent to have on, on your roster. You know, and he can. And not only that, you don't have to make a you know these double switches and all that he can go from third to second to, to left field all in one game and you don't have to use players. So he's absolutely a viable tool. The other thing that I love about him, Andy is so he's played so far this year, 25 games. He played in every game this year. He's reached base in one way or another in 24 of those 25 games. Exactly. So I know there, there are some guys that'll look at this and they see the OPS at 710. They're like, that's below average. But man, when I'm watching these games and he's getting on base <laughs> consistently and then he's stealing yep. when he gets there. He's putting pressure on yep. the defense. Like I, right. I love watching Tommy Edmond play right now. Yeah. Well, that everybody's, you know, the, the here's the biggest issue I think uh, that really bothers me. And I don't want to sound like an old timer, but obviously I am. Is people were look at numbers first, and 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 they're looking at the wrong numbers. This guy's a, a little bit of a pain in the neck when when he's in the lineup. You know, I mean, Harrison Bader could learn something from this guy. Get on base. Your talent is your legs. Figure out a way to get on base. Twenty-four out of twenty-five games. Bader, there was some. If he plays the next twenty-five games, and that's my point. You you have to understand. The talent you have, and Tommy Evans certainly understands his talent, and he never looks like he's trying to hit the ball over the fence. He puts the ball in play. He makes the pitcher work. You know, six, seven pitches in that bat. It's a wonderful thing to watch. The other thing, and I'm curious your perspective on this, because as we see more and more teams going more and more towards the power, right? And you, like, for example, the Reds, they've got Mike Moustakis, who last year decided to play second base, and they, they just wanted mm-hmm. his bat in the lineup. They didn't care about the defense. And so for me, it almost feels like there's even more value in those guys that are putting the ball in play consistently, because now I'm putting pressure on the opposing defense. And if my guy that's putting yep. the ball in play has speed, well, all the more power, because now the guy's going to make an errant throw, and maybe he ends up on second with just an infield what should have been an infield single sure you know i mean the fact is you probably got the same range as, as he does at second base <laughs> i mean that's just where we are i mean the, the evolution of the game doesn't mean it's better it just means that's where we are and you're right you know major league baseball has gone to a statistical drunkenness and, and and forgot about the game is not it's not just about hitting the ball over the fence so you know a guy like like again Tommy Evans is—he's—you is, is, know—he looks like he could have played on the St. Louis Cardinals in the '80s. That's the kind of player he is, and every team needs it. And I think actually we need a little bit more of it because guys like that, 
even though you don't fear them hitting the ball over the fence, you don't like facing them because he can make you throw pitches that you don't want to throw. Andy, final one from me, and I'm uh, I'm curious your thoughts on this because I really feel like what's missing are guys that just um, will steal bases at any time. And you've talked about the speed mm-hmm. from a Tommy Edmond and a Harrison Bader and what they can do on the base paths. Uh, do you feel like that's lacking from the game today of just players and teams that are willing to just steal at any time? Uh, yeah. I mean, here's the thing. You know, when I was getting drafted back in uh, 1979, you know, the, the most important thing back then was, could you run? Could you, what kind of leg speed did you have? What kind of uh, um, arm, what kind of arm did you have? So the emphasis and the ability to go from first to home is not there anymore. They want you to go from home to home now. And that's, again, that's where we are. And I missed that part of the game. You know, I mean, there was the old joke back when the Cardinals were winning all the pennants back in the eighties was, I went to Bush Stadium, and a track meet broke out. <laughs> I mean, and to me, you know, seeing four guys strike out in a row and then someone hitting a home run, and now you're down seven to one, is is not as exciting as it's three to two, and we haven't hit a ball out of the infield yet. We got first and second because of because of the speed that's on our team. To me, that's more exciting. Final question for Andy Van Slyke joining us here on 101 ESPN. Andy, we were able to talk to Nick Leva the other, I think a week ago now, and he told some great stories about those 80s teams and what it was like to coach under Whitey Herzog. Do you have a, whether it be a favorite memory, a favorite story of your time here in St. Louis in those, uh, on those teams in the 80s? Um, yeah, I mean, here, here's the thing. Um, I can, we had, you know, those, those teams were, were built again on speed. It was always exciting to know when like Willie McGee or Vince Coleman or Ozzie Smith or Lonnie Smith, um, when they hit a ball in the outfield, it was, it was a crescendo when he got the first and it got louder and louder. He got the second and it got loud and the, Everybody in the stands knew when 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 Willie McGee or Ozzy or they were leaning. Man, this is going to be a triple, and everybody would stand up in the anticipation of the play at third base. To me, that is really cool. I mean, that the triple and the double, you know, is is to me something that is a lot more exciting. Not, I mean, it's not obviously as important. Maybe not as exciting. I guess it depends on the home run. But the crescendo of watching guys run knowing that you're four or five seconds away from a play at third base is something I think is really, really missing in the game. I still, I, I look back on the, that Vince Coleman season in 85 where he had 110 stolen bases, which is just Insane. like so foreign to the game today. What was yep. it like to watch him on an everyday basis, just knowing, like waiting for the moment when he was going to steal? Well, you just knew it. I mean, you could tell. I mean, he was, and the, the funny thing is that Here's the thing I think a lot of maybe young fans don't understand. The distraction that speed puts on the pitcher is something you cannot put into a computer and it cannot spit some kind of statistic out. The reason why the Cardinals were so good in 82, really probably the best team in 85 and a really good team in 87, was they put so much pressure on the pitcher that – it distracted him from doing his number one job, and that is trying to get the guy out at home that he's pitching to. 
but Vince Coleman and Willie and I, I mean, the distraction level, again, you can't equate that. And it really helped the guy at home plate. I used to love being at home plate when Vince Coleman or Ozzy or Willie might've been on base because it made hitting that much more easier because the pitcher was more apt to make a mistake. Andy, I could talk with you all day, man. Thank you so much for spending a little bit of time with us today. We sincerely it. appreciate it. All the best, my man. All right, thank you. Nice Thanks, talk, Andy. That's Andy Van Slyke, 13-year major league career, three-time All-Star, five-time gold glover, two-time silver slugger who joined us here on 101 ESPN. We'll have to get him back on next time because I have a, I have a weird feeling that he would uh, be on the same boat of my Cook Carp movement. I think he might be right on that. Just, just some he, weird idea. He There's would definitely one other... buy a T-shirt for the cook cart. Yeah, okay. <laughs> we'll send him one. He doesn't need to buy one. Are you kidding? Come on, Tanner. Well, that's like... true. That's fair. My bad. One other thing, something that he said there at the very end that I found really interesting. He was talking about how it changed the way that pitchers would pitch to him when Vince Coleman was on the base paths. Now, the Cardinals don't have anybody right now like Vince Coleman. They... That player does not exist in today's I don't know game. If baseball has a player like Vince Coleman. 110 steals is – it doesn't happen anymore. No. It, I don't know that we'll ever see that again. I hope we do, but I don't know that we're ever going to see that again in baseball. However, the Cardinals do have a base stealer at the top of their lineup with Tommy Edmond. He does put pressure on the opposing pitcher. And one of the things that I love about Dylan Carlson batting second right now, and I think part of why he's having so much success there – is because I do think in some ways he's being pitched a little differently. Pitchers do have to keep a, uh, an eye over on first while Tommy Edmond is over there. And like I said, he's over there a lot because he's been on base at least once in 24 of the 25 games so far this season. Mm-hmm. So I that is one of the reasons why I was so in favor of moving Dylan Carlson up in the lineup earlier than they eventually did, and I'm glad they have now is because I do think this is going to help make Dylan Carlson an even better player, and he's already batting 300 despite not being up there earlier. That's part of the reason why I would love to see somebody like Harrison Bader hitting in the nine hole because then Tommy Edmonds getting pitched differently, and then guess what? One through four, the top of your lineup is starting to get pitched differently, and you'll have two guys, three guys, because I think Dylan Carlson can be a base-stealing threat. You'll have three guys that if they get on the base paths, then the pitcher has to be worried about that. And if you have two guys on with one out, guess what? A single's going to score two runs, and you're pitching guys differently. It's, it's, that is so pinpoint with what Andy's saying about the, the, the beauty and the magic of the game before. And I'm going to start sounding like Tanner Hendrickson <laughs> yeah, here about the I was about to say, am I doing I the show with two guys that are 70 years but, old? <laughs> but, I, I mean, you know, call me corny if you want, but it's kind of like a ballet, man. Like, there's just different points of it that you get, and it just it all creates this beautiful picture on paper. But if you get away from that and everyone's just going for home runs, it takes away from it. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. Cardinals versus the Pirates. They start the series tonight. We'll have plenty of reaction to that on Monday. I just referenced ballet with baseball, didn't I? I loved it, man. And coming up next, Aaron Rodgers. He wants out of Green Bay. Who's going to get him? We'll talk about it next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario.
I have had leak sources say that the Packers have not received any phone calls on Rodgers yet, but that they are open now to the reality that they may have to trade Aaron Rodgers. Could that be tonight? Could it be after the draft? It's certainly a possibility. I've been told AFC team is more likely. Remember, they traded Brett Favre once, but not to the NFC, the AFC. That was the Jets. And in this case, I think you'd have to look at the AFC West with the Raiders or the Broncos. And I don't, Raiders are telling me they don't have the money. Broncos have $24 million under the cap. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kiley, things really came to a head last night with Aaron Rodgers. Apparently, he wants out. It was announced earlier today or reported earlier today that apparently he has also told teammates that he is not expecting to return to the Packers this season. We'll see. We'll see if he's willing to actually stay by his word. We'll see if the Packers are willing to call his bluff. But for the here and now, Alex, let's go with that report from Chris Mortensen of ESPN last night and assume that all of this is real, that he does want out and that eventually the Packers are going to have to allow him to have that request. Where do you want to see him go? Because I think there's like 25 teams that would be interested in Aaron Rodgers. But if they don't want to trade him to an NFC team and we're looking over at the AFC side of things, where would you want to see Aaron Rodgers play next year? Jeopardy. Okay. Well, in the NFL, on the AFC what side of things. Jeopardy? <laughs> Jeopardy would be great. Um. Boy, that's a tough one. A lot of people put him in Vegas. I don't want to see that because he doesn't have any damn weapons in Vegas. Now, he'll be protected in Vegas, so I guess that'll be good because that's all Vegas apparently likes to draft in the first round, but that doesn't make sense. Uh, Broncos would be awesome because they got three legit weapons that he could be throwing to with Judy and Patrick and Sutton, and that defense is so good right now. What about a team like Seattle? Like, what if you flipped one for one? So that's an interesting one on the NFC side of things yeah. if they were willing to. And that would be, I guess, the tough part because you're you're not going to take a chance like that. Um, Tennessee would be another interesting one. And I know they got Ryan Tannehill, but, like, imagine what they would be with Aaron Rodgers with A.J. Brown. Like, come on. So I, I don't know, man. There's a couple of them. I think the one that, for me, would I would love to watch is the Broncos, though, because I think that makes them a Super Bowl contender immediately with how good that roster is around him. Yeah, I, I agree with Broncos. Tanner, this is I, where you answer. Well, okay, it's not. I can't see any of you guys. Some of us get left behind in the well, studio. You know, dead, you know dead silence in, in between is usually a response. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> Thanks, BK. You're uh, I I like. I like Denver. I think Denver's a really good spot. To me, it would be between two, Denver and Miami. Yep. And I think I like Denver best because I really love their defense. As you mentioned, Alex, they have weapons. Miami, Miami's defense was good last year. They've got some weapons. They drafted the wide receiver for Tua, assuming Tua would be their quarterback uh, as of right now. But I look at Denver, and I think he just fits there better. He would go into a system. He'd basically kind of be the guy he's not working with a offensive minded coach he's working with Vic Fangio who's more defensive minded so they can bring in I don't know who the offensive coordinator is off the top of my head uh, but they have an offensive coordinator that will work with Aaron Rodgers I really like the idea of him in Denver so I think if we're going to the AFC I think it's the two teams that you just mentioned I think those are the only options because like we can we can go through these real quick in terms of who is in the AFC who would be interested. Buffalo not going to be interested. New England just took their quarterback in the first round. The Jets same thing. Pittsburgh but wouldn't New England take him though? Like wouldn't you rather? Have I don't a- think he would go there. 
because all of so? the complaints that he has currently about Green Bay also You're apply to New, New England. England. Yeah, that's true. That house too weapons. cold. So yeah. I, I don't think that he would be willing Plays to go Green there. Green Bay, it's fine regardless of where he goes with the cold. I think Pittsburgh doesn't have the money. They don't. I, I know Pittsburgh no, doesn't have the money. You flip Big Ben for him. Baltimore's not doing this. Cleveland, Cincinnati, they're invested in their young quarterbacks. I don't think Tennessee would do it just because of Ryan Tannehill, and I think they're invested yeah. with him. Be interesting, though. Indy, I don't think would do it because of Wentz, because they've committed to him now. Houston's not an option. Jacksonville just went with Lawrence. Kansas City, no. L.A. Chargers, no. They're invested in Justin Herbert. Uh So now, again, I mentioned every team in the AFC not named Miami, Las Vegas, Denver. I don't think Las Vegas is going to be involved in this because of the money situation. So you're down to Miami and Denver. Those are the only two spots. And, Tanner, this is where I will disagree with you a little bit. I think Miami's the best fit. I don't know if he wants to play on the East Coast. I don't know if he's interested in going down to Miami. Wouldn't you want to play on the East Coast? But if you're interested, you've got Devontae Parker, Will Fuller, Jalen Waddell as wide receiver options for you. You've got a solid, not great offensive line. And I think Brian Flores is one of the best coaches in the league right now. And he's a fantastic defensive mind in that defense last year. I remember watching them play against the Chiefs. They were as tough of an opponent defensively for the Chiefs as I saw all year long for their offense. So... I actually think Miami, if it is exclusively the AFC that they're willing to trade him to, I think Miami, not the Broncos, would be the best spot for him. They also have the most capital to trade because if they want a quarterback, I don't think they're going to the Packers. You could trade Tua in this kind of a deal, or if they don't want one, they've got two twos uh, two years from now. They've got, or excuse me, two firsts a year from now. They've got their first next year. So you could give up your three first-round picks for Aaron Rodgers, and boom, we've got a clean sweep right here. I think Miami is the spot in my mind. So if Miami's the spot in the AFC, let's do the NFC. Let's go this hypothetical path and say, like, somebody's willing to pull the trigger with the NFC. I mentioned Seattle if you do one-for-one. What about the Minnesota Vikings? I, they don't have the money. They, they can't. The money and the Green Bay would never do that. Like, even if they were willing to yeah, give him somewhere in the NFC, there's no chance they would give it to their okay. biggest rival. They're what, not giving you Aaron Rodgers. What about Washington? Washington, Philly, Carolina were the other three that I thought could make some sense. And I don't think Philly would do it. See, Washington would be the one. I think if, if I'm looking at a team that makes them a Super Bowl contender with Aaron Rodgers... I would put it Washington and Seattle as kind of a one-two punch. I might get the slight edge to Washington because their defense is much better than Seattle's. Washington makes a ton of sense for him. Yeah. They would have the weapons that you'd be looking for. Terry McLaurin out there is amazing. They've got a really good coach in um, Ron Rivera. Rivera. They make a lot of sense. Now, again, does he want to go to the East Coast? There were reports yesterday that he wants to go back to the West Coast. If that is something that he's prioritizing, well, really the only teams that are out there, none of them make a whole lot of sense. The Rams Rams would have, but they just got their quarterback. The Chargers would, hypothetically, but they're invested in Justin Herbert. San Francisco just got their quarterback. There's really no options out there on the West Coast. Unless you move Jimmy G for Aaron Rodgers, and Aaron Rodgers is the guy that Trey Lance plays behind. And and that would make sense, but you're playing behind him if you're Trey Lance for more than a season. 
you're probably playing behind him for what two, three more years with his contract. Six five seven eight zero is the Air Comfort Service tax line from the three one four guys. What what about a quarterback swap between Green Bay and Houston? That would make sense as well. Green Bay ain't doing that. No. I can promise you that much. Green Bay because that's not, doing not a that. quarterback swap because you don't know what Watson looks like if he's playing or not. And knowing that organization, they don't take on, they they don't take on character concerns. So yeah. that's that is not something that would be in play. On your question about the 49ers, could you do that for a year? Now you're just putting Rodgers in the same position that he wanted to get out of. Yeah, because he the one of the main complaints he has about same Green problem. Bay is that they had the young guy that they brought in and they weren't committed to him fully for the future. The 49ers, it would be the same situation. There would always be a question of when are I'm they moving on to Lance. when guys complain about not committed to me for the full future. You're like 36 years old. like, And that's just the NFL. Yeah, like you got to have a young guy behind you. I get it. You want, you're still an amazing quarterback. You're still a top quarterback in the league. But sooner or later, Father Time's catching up with you, and you got to be planning otherwise. So it's not like Jordan Love was going to be taking the job this year anyway. I think Tom Brady changed everything for quarterbacks. He changed everything. Yeah, thanks, Tom. For 20 years, Tom Tom Brady was the model, right? Everybody was supposed to take less to play the position. They were supposed to take the hard coaching because that's what happened with Tom in New England. And they were supposed to be willing to let the team, not the player, be the star. Well, then... Tom Brady this offseason decides, I'm done with this. I don't want to put up with this crap anymore. I want to go do it my way somewhere. And he leaves, goes to Tampa Bay. He takes a decent contract, but not all of the money. He ends up, they commit to him for multiple years now, and they gave him all of the weapons. Everything he's wanted, they they gave to him. They catered to him in every possible way. They bent their offense to be able to fit what he does well. And he put, to, put up big-time numbers and won a Super Bowl. So why are we seeing guys like Deshaun Watson before all of this other stuff came out and Russell Wilson and Aaron Rodgers coming out complaining about their current situations and wanting to get into a new situation? I think it's pretty simple. What we saw with Tom Brady is showing other guys, oh, I can have my cake and eat it too. I don't have to be willing to deal with what the organization wants to do. I can have an influence on what the organization does. What did Tom get? When Rob Gronkowski became available, Tom said, go get him. When Antonio Brown was out there, Tom said, go get him. This offseason. Julian Edelman was out there. He said, go get him. (laughs) This offseason, when Chris Godwin became a free agent, he said to franchise him, what did they do? They decided to keep him there on the franchise tag. Tom Brady has a ton of influence within the Buccaneers organization. And I think other quarterbacks are catching on to that, and they want a piece of that as well. I think he completely changed the way that teams are going to have to go with their quarterbacks, for better or worse, moving forward. Now my hatred for you, Tom, has grown even more. I think it's changed. I, I, think, I think it's going to be very interesting to see some of these young quarterbacks push that influence on their organization. You talk about the – God, it would suck to be Jordan Love right now. Like, it would suck to be Jordan Love because now you are the black sheep of the group that essentially made Aaron Rodgers leave. God, that's why sports aren't fun, man. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon (laughs) Kylie. Coming up next, the Cardinals' first month superlatives. Who's your MVP from the first month of the Cardinals' season? We'll give you that and some other awards coming up next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Most did we just play? I don't Tim know. Hendrickson must love the station so much. I do. He's just hey. like, promo, 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 promo. 
101 ESPN, 101 ESPN, 101 what ESPN. What just happened, Tanner? Well, someone told me to double break, so we did. And Nobody told you that, actually. And then we were talking to our guy, Rashad, from Argosy, Rashad. so I got a little bit distracted. And uh, I forgot to delete the one of the rejoins. So we had rejoin, the legal, and then rejoin. So my bad. Some of, us, together, some of us don't get to travel. Some of us have to look at the board with a million freaking buttons on. I don't know what half of these do. That empty coffee cup in the studio by yourself. Huh. You could focus on the show. Well, I'm so well lonely, speaking of sorry. traveling with Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. The two of us are live Transition. at the ENB Granite <laughs> Studio at the Centene Community Ice Center. Tanner Hendrickson back in the studio for us. Coming up in about 10 minutes or so. I didn't know Ryan O'Reilly had this in him. I knew he was a great leader. I didn't know he had top 10 in the NHL and even strength uh, goals in him. So we'll talk about that. doubt the Blues, BK. In about 10 minutes or so. But right now, let's dive into some first-month superlatives for the St. Louis Cardinals. We are, this weekend will be the end of the first month of the season. Alex, let's go through some of these. Let's start out with the first-month MVP. If you were put to, to put together an MVP of the first month of the season for the Cards, who would you go with? Oh, Matt Carpenter. Okay, and nope, now that's take out, two. Nope, that's enough out of you. Take two, uh, Tommy Edmond, or Tom Edmond, whichever one you'd like to go. As if the MVP were going professional route, so Tom Edmond would be my MVP. He's done everything. I mean, he's getting on base. He's coming up with big runs scored. He's utilizing his speed. His defense has taken over not only second base, but the corner outfield spot. He's filled a lot of voids for this Cardinals team this season. So without question, Tommy Edmond is my MVP at this point of the season. Tanner, who are you going with? I'm with you. I think it's Tommy Edmond. He's done everything that you've asked for. He filled in that leadoff spot. He can play the outfield. He can play second base. I'm pretty sure he's the emergency catcher, even though they say he's not. I, I think Tommy Edmond. I think he's playing at an all-star level right now. I'm going to go different than you guys. I am going to go with Dylan Carlson as my first month MVP for the Cardinals. Some of his offensive numbers are kind of astounding, honestly. It's, it's really even taken me aback that he's batting 300 with a 370 on-base percentage. If you look at the OPS+, plus, which basically characterizes him on a scale of 100, 100 is average. He's at 138, which means he's 38% above league average. He has been the Cardinals' best hitter so far this season, and he's playing one of, if not the most important defensive positions, and he's played it well, as we talked about earlier today with Andy Van Slyke in center field. I think Dylan Carlson's been their MVP so far this season. I, I'm kind of surprised, honestly, that I'm saying that, but if you're putting together a rookie of the year case so far... Oh, he's by far the leading candidate of it. I think he would be my MVP for the Cardinals, and I think he would be my National League rookie of the year thus yeah, far. Uh, the only other guy that could make a case for it is uh, Jazz Chisholm yeah. from Miami. But I think Dylan Carlson has been more influential for the Cardinals than he has for Miami. So I'm with you. I would say Dylan Carlson, without question, is the rookie of the year in the National League. I think I would go with him. I think Carlson would be my choice for MVP. How about the fir first month of the season, Cy Young? Cy Young for the Cardinals. You can go starter or reliever. Say, There's been both. relievers that have been in the conversation before. But Cy Young for the Cardinals so far this season. Yeah, man, when you, I originally wanted to go Alex Reyes there, but I think I got to go Jack Flaherty. I mean, his last three starts have been prototypical ace stuff for this ball club. And even his first couple of starts out of the season, they weren't great, but still he gave his team a chance to win every single night. He's been the most consistent starting pitcher on this team all season. So if I'm giving a Cy Young out for this Cardinals team at the first month, my pick's going Jack Flaherty. Tanner? 
Yeah, I'm with you, Jack Flaherty. The reason I don't want to go with Reyes is because of the walks issue, and he seems to be getting in trouble. I understand that he gets out of it, hey, and his stuff Cy has Young been good. had walks, too. That's fair, but I think Jack Flaherty's returned to form. And honestly, if, if we could... I know this is this is a hypothetical and it can't happen, but if you could take out those blow-up innings from Seamart, he might honestly be the Cy Young guy, guy for the Cardinals. Did you just say Seamart and Cy Young in the same conversation? Yeah, kind of tongue twister. I did it's been a hurt. minute. It has happened before. He's been in that conversation before. We'll see if yeah, he's there like again. A month, though. For my Cy Young, I'm sticking with you guys. I think there's only really one choice here. I feel like it has to be Jack Flaherty. He's been their best pitcher for the season. Like it, it, especially if you remove his first start, everything since then has been pretty outstanding, honestly, by Jack Flaherty so far this year. So I think he's got to be the choice for Cy Young. Let's go to the next one. Biggest surprise of the first month of the season for you. And you can go abstract. You can go with a player. What's been the biggest surprise for you in the positive direction so far this season, Alex? Mine's been Yachty. Um, and I know a lot of people will probably say, well, why wouldn't he be your MVP? And rightfully so. The only reason is that is uh, he has had the injuries pop up a little bit. So hopefully he can find a way through that. But he's been my biggest surprise. And, and maybe that's shame on me for not believing that Yachty could do this. But to be a plus 300 hitter, to be hitting in the cleanup spot for you at times this season, to be coming up with these home runs as much as Yachty has been, on top of being the same defensive catcher we've all seen I mean, my guy looks like he's about to be an all-star, a silver slugger, a gold glover, all in one season. So Yachty's my biggest surprise for this Cardinals team. My biggest surprise, and maybe it's kind of current bias, but mine's Andrew Kisner. Him stepping up during Yachty's absence over the last week, and there's been guys that have surprised me, Tommy Edmond, but to go a little bit different and Yo, Johan Oviedo's been great this couple times. We've seen him, John Gant in the rotation. But Kisner, to me, is the biggest surprise in the first month because he's hardly played. He's just come in and he's not hes not looked overmatched. He's hitting the ball well. He's going the other way. He's hitting over 300. He's working with the pitchers well. He's been the guy that's caught the last two starts from Carlos Martinez. For me, Andrew Kisner's the biggest surprise this first month of the season. Yeah, I'm going to go with two, but I'll narrow it down to one for you guys. My two guys that I considered were Tommy Edmond and Carlos Martinez. Carlos Martinez pitching this well has been a a legitimate pleasant surprise for me, but I'm going to go Tommy Edmond. I knew he was going to be good. I I thought that he could be a, a solid player for the Cardinals in 2021, but I thought it was possible that he was closer to the player that he was last year than who he was in 2019, and I was wrong. He is pretty much the guy that he was in 2019. I mean, that's that's what he's been for the Cardinals so far. If you're looking, and I know you guys both had him as your MVP, and I think it's a totally fair choice, I wouldn't have thought that that was in play coming into the year. I would have taken three or four other guys before I would have taken Tommy Edmond as a Cardinals MVP candidate. So for him to be up there with the likes of Carlson and Arenado and Flaherty amongst the, the team's most important players... That's been a little bit surprising to me so far this year, and I'm really pleasantly surprised that that is the case. Uh, Continuing here on the other side, the flip side of things, Alex, who's been the biggest disappointment for you relative to expectations this year? I think part of me feels like this is going to be a clean sweep. Paul DeYoung for me. Um, I get that he's got five home runs, but he's also turned into a guy that a lot of people are saying shouldn't be in the lineup, which 
I don't agree with. I think Paul DeYoung should be in the lineup every day regardless, but you got to start seeing some more offensive production from him. I mean, he's slowly dipping down in this batting order from being the cleanup hitter to the 5, 6, 7. I mean, he's down to like 7, 8 right now for you. So I would say Paul DeYoung has been my big biggest disappointment. Yeah, I'm with you. He's been the biggest disappointment. He was supposed to be that cleanup guy with Arnado in the 3, Goldie in the 2 spot. He didn't perform well there. He's looked overmatched at the plate more times than I can count. Uh, I, I agree with you, Alex. Paul DeYoung has been the most, been the biggest disappointment in the first month. Did you know that so far this year, Paul Goldschmidt has fewer walks than Paul DeYoung in the same number, or one fewer strikeouts than Paul DeYoung? He has a worse batting average so far this season than Paul DeYoung, a worse on-base percentage so far this season than Paul DeYoung, and the exact same slugging percentage so far as Paul DeYoung. What's it like to be negative all the time? My biggest disappointment so far is Paul Goldschmidt. I thought he was going to be incredible with Nolan Arenado batting behind him. I thought that was going to be something that completely changed the way that teams approached him. Now, I will also add this to the conversation because I think it's important. Our next one is the biggest turnaround that you expect moving forward. I don't think this is going to sustain itself. It's not that Goldie has been hitting the ball soft the way that Paul DeYoung has. If you look at the underlying numbers, I'm not sure there's a big turnaround coming anytime soon for Paul DeYoung. At least there's nothing so far that's been indicating that there would be. Goldie's not that way. He's still hitting the ball hard. All, uh, most of the underlying numbers have been solid for him this year. He's getting a bit unlucky. So I don't think this will sustain itself for Goldie. If you're looking at the guy that I'm most concerned about, I'm with you guys. It's Paul DeYoung. But most disappointing so far is Goldie. Guy that I think is going to turn it around is also Goldie. Who would you go with for that tip? Goldie Alex? as well, because his worst batting average, his worst OPS, his worst slugging percentage, his on-base percentage everywhere is the month of April. Everywhere else, it just significantly gets better in May, June, July, August. So this is a guy that I... Even if he starts off cold, I'm never concerned about it. And I always feel like at the end of the season, he's going to have 30 home runs, close to 100 RBIs. He's going to be hitting close to 300. He's going to be having close to a 500 slugging percentage. He's a guy that always does it. So, yeah, Paul Goldschmidt's my is going to go in a much better direction than what he is right now. Tanner, who you got as you're most likely to turn things around after the first month of the season? Yeah, I'm with you guys with Goldie. There were two other guys I considered. I considered uh -huh. Matt Carpenter just because he still is hitting the ball hard. The problem, though, is he's not going to get enough. He's not going to be playing Carp. consistently <laughs> to be able to fix things. Like so well done, Tanner. I think I think that's why I didn't go Carp. And then I thought about O'Neal, too, because he's kind of in that phase of turning it around already. But I don't know. He's just so hot. He's so streaky and... I just can't say he's going to turn around for a full month, but Paul Goldschmidt's my guy. Like you guys said, there's no need to really worry about him. He, he's historically a slow starter. I think he'll be fine. I think he's my guy to turn it around next hey, month. Man, if you think he's hot, then that's that's fine. Like we, We're cool with it, buddy. Dude, you can't, As... The Canadian Hulkster? Come on. Canadian Hulkster is hot. He's on fire right now. He is. I mean, I mean, he's about as red hot as you can get when you hit the field. Last one here as we go through our Cardinals first month superlatives for the season with Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks and I'm Brandon Kylie. Who's the guy that's performed really well so far that you think is likely to regress? And this doesn't mean you think they're going to be terrible the rest of the year, yeah. but you don't think what they're doing right now is sustainable. Tanner, let's start with you. We'll go to Alex after you on this one. Who's the guy that you think is going to regress a bit, even if, again, doesn't mean that you think they're going to be terrible, but you think they're going to come back from where they are right now? 
I think mine's John Gant. His numbers look really good, but to me, he's always in trouble. He's always got runners on. It minus his last start. His last start, he was he did a very good job. But I look at John Gant, and I I don't know if he can sustain. He's not going to be in the rotation longer, but if he continues to have the issue with walking batters, I think his numbers are going to go up quite a bit, actually, just because of having guys on base, and it's hard to work around that all the time. Yeah, that's a good one. Um, I think it's Carlos. I think Carlos right now is your second best pitcher, and I don't see that sustaining all season. Maybe it does. Maybe the tsunami is coming. (laughs) Maybe the warning's out there for us all. Um, But... I see him regressing. I see him regressing to being a fourth starter in your rotation, which is which I'm fine with. I mean, that's awesome because Carlos wasn't even supposed to be in the rotation, according to a lot of people. But I just don't see him sustaining this, so he's mine. Do you guys know who leads the Cardinals in OPS so far this season? Carlos Martinez? Dylan Carlson. Yadier Molina. Oh. He's at 997 so far this year in terms of his OPS. I don't, I don't think yeah, that's going Carson to continue. Kelly. I think Yadier Molina is going to have a good season. I do not think for the entirety of the year he's going to hit 325 with a 630 slugging percentage. That seems rather unlikely to me. So if I'm picking one guy that I think is going to regress from where they are right now, and again, to make this very clear, do not think he's going to stink the rest of the year. I think he's closer to like a 280 hitter with a decent pop, but not the way that he's shown so far this year. I think he's going to have a good year. Not like this, though. So if I had to pick one guy that I think will regress from what their numbers have been so far this season, I think I would go with Yadier Molina. You Cardinals are a factory back- of sadness! <laughs> Cardinals are back in action tonight against the Pirates starting this three-game series. We will have plenty on that oh, on Monday as we continue here on 101 ESPN. Coming up next, let's get back into the Blues. I didn't know Ryan O'Reilly had this in him, Alex. We'll talk about it next. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. They get it ahead. O'Reilly. Breakaway shoots. He scores. O'Reilly does it to the wild again. An overtime game winner. And the Blues win 5-4. The win streak is at four. That's what it sounded like for last night right here on your home for the Blues 101 ESPN as the Blues win another one four straight Alex it's incredible the way that they're playing right now and with Alex Ferrario I'm Brandon Kylie. it's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN Ryan O'Reilly has impressed me once again I can't believe that he's still doing things that I didn't know that he was capable of but that's where we are and Ryan O'Reilly now on the season is up to 22 goals but it's not just that he has 22 goals it's the way that he's doing it's at even strength is where he's getting the majority of these he is tied for eighth in the league Alex in even strength goals on the season here's a list of players that he has more even strength goals than so far Alex Ovechkin Sidney Crosby Patrick Kane Nathan McKinnon Ryan O'Reilly has been more productive in terms of his goal scoring at even strength than some of the best goal scorers in the league so far this year. It's remarkable. I can't believe that he continues to amaze me with certain things that he does, but that is what he has done, especially in the last 10 games or so when he's taken his game to yet another level. And you know what he, what's more impressive about what he's done in, in the conversation with those other guys, with the exception of Ovechkin and Crosby, although Ovechkin's dealt with injuries this season, Crosby's been impressive once again but the other two McKinnon and Kane 
you know what those guys don't do that out that Ryan O'Reilly has been doing play that way while carrying the load of being the captain on a team and, and Ryan O'Reilly there's no denying it this man has sounded broken multiple times this season in the postgame press conferences always blaming himself saying he needs to be better putting the show the 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 issues on his shoulder and rightfully so that's what a captain can do but yet he goes out there every single night and goes out and outperforms everyone on his roster and that's just Ryan O'Reilly Tyler Bozak said it after the game Braden Shen has said it multiple times this season you're amazed at what Ryan O'Reilly continues to be able to do on the ice and that goal right there the overtime winner I mean to make that play he is not the fastest guy like he is probably one of the slower guys on this roster but to be able to recognize a line shift change at three on three, know that your teammate Jordan Cairo has the puck and go off to the races, get the puck on your stick, be able to make sure you're on sides, beat a defenseman, and then beat the goaltender. I mean, it's truly remarkable. He has been a point-per-game player this season, and if you go back and look at it, He's been close before. I think he was five points shy of being a point-per-game player in his first year here when they won the Cup. I think he had 77 and 82. And then last season, he was 10 points shy of it. So he's always been close with the Blues. But it's the talent around them, I think, is what's making Ryan O'Reilly this way. Yeah, and it's the goal production. Like, that's what's different this time around than previous years. He has nine goals in his last nine games. Yeah. That's remarkable. And it's also, I put this together because I was curious, what would these numbers look like if you, like, paced this out over an 82-game season? He would be on pace right now for 38 goals in an 82-game season, 81 points, as you said, basically a point per game. And if you paste out his plus-minus stats, and again, I know that that's a flawed statistic, but I do think it tells a little bit of the story of Ryan O'Reilly, he would pace out to be a plus-34 over 82 games on this year, which would be, oh, let me check real quick. Yeah, by far the best of his NHL career. I mean, a plus 34 is is stupid. That's mm-hmm. that's absurd what you're doing when you're that good on the ice. He's already so far, even with the shortened season, he's at plus 20 right now. His best of his career was 2019 when he was at a plus 22. So he's right in line with how good he was during that cup run. And so when you're looking around wondering, hey, how did they get this thing turned around? There's a million different reasons, right? Colton Pareko's return, that really helped shore things up on the back end. Uh, Jordan Bennington is playing much better of late. He's coming up with those big saves that the Blues weren't getting previously. You're getting the depth scoring. uh, Kairou looks much better. Robert Thomas is shooting the puck again, which is pretty helpful. Bozak's game looks like he's back after that injury that he had. But the biggest driving force behind it you don't have to look all that hard. You got to look at the captain. Nine goals in nine games. That tells the story for me. And a lot of those goals come from faceoff wins too. And that that drastically changed this Blues team when they acquired Ryan O'Reilly because their faceoffs weren't really good. Like they were middle of the pack, if not bottom, in faceoff victories. And Ryan O'Reilly, Tyler Bozak, Robert Thomas come in, and that all of a sudden shifts. I mean, look, they're fifth overall in the National Hockey League in faceoffs. Wow. And Ryan O'Reilly's 50, well, I'm sorry, the, the team is 53.1% in faceoffs. One individuals for Ryan O'Reilly, it's always hard to because, you know, they put the, the stupid number in there where it's like, oh, well, this guy's 100% because he's taken one yeah, face Yeah, there's off. no qualifications But on Ryan it. O'Reilly overall, and I want to double check on this because I used this on postgame last night. Ryan O'Reilly's at 58.6% in faceoffs this season. That's really impressive. I mean, it's best on the on his team 
who have taken more than 40 faceoffs this season. So he's changed that, and what that does is it gives the team possession. Mike Hoffman talked about it on the uh, the post game a couple of nights ago. The power play is successful because the Blues are winning faceoffs, and Blues are winning faceoffs because Ryan O'Reilly is just eliminating the opponent in those faceoff dots, and don't overestimate what he does in the defensive zone. So. He not only is playing like an MVP for this Blues team, if you put what he's done this season in an 82-game schedule, I think he'd be on pace for like, what, 40 goals in a season? 38. 40, 38 goals in a season. But on top of it, BK, he's playing like another Selkie Trophy winner, the best defensive forward in the National Hockey League. And there's no denying it. So to have a triple threat like that from Ryan O'Reilly is another reason why this team's cup window is wide open. Yeah, and I... I... I don't know if we have the cut, Tanner. I, I don't have it listed here on the rundown, but I know that um, Tyler Bozak was asked about this after the game on um, how much it means to have Ryan O'Reilly play the way that he does. Uh, if, if we have that cut, let me know. Otherwise, no worries. But he talked about it last night and how you, you just don't see guys like this around the league. And here's what Tyler Bozak had to say last night. It's not, not easy to find a player like that that does – Absolutely everything well. Um, you know, there's guys out there that score a lot of goals or there's guys out there that play well defensively, but um, not many guys can do everything like that. And I think he's one of the select few in the league, and uh, we're very lucky to have him. So I mentioned, Alex, that he's on pace for 38 goals. Do you know how many Blues in the last, uh, and that would be over the course of an 82-game season if he played the full schedule, right? Do you know how many Blues over the last 20 years have reached that mark? 20 years. The last 20 years, how many guys have have reached the 38-goal mark in an individual season? Are we talking Blues? Blues, yeah. Just Blues, 38-plus goals in an individual season over the last 20 years. Um, I would say probably... One, Vladimir Tarasenko? No, not Tarasenko. Tarasenko never got to 38. Vladdy did it one. Vladdy did it twice. He got to 38. Brad Boys, yeah, Keith Kachuk, and Scott Young. That's the entire list of guys that have done it in the last 20 years, 38-plus goals in an oh, individual that would be 2001. season. It, it's yeah. crazy, man. I mean, that's that's what we're talking about is he's up there. I mean, Brett Hole, you have to go before that. Shanny did it. And that's that's the last 30 years of Blues history of guys that have done it. And that's what Ryan O'Reilly is accomplishing while also being the captain, being your best defensive forward, and being the driving force behind the way that the Blues play every single night. That It's just, it's almost unheard of what we're seeing right now, what we're watching right now from Ryan O'Reilly. So if and when this team makes the playoffs, and I think we're all on the same page, that that's going to happen now. One of the reasons, if you're picking them to go far in the postseason, one of the main reasons would be because what you're seeing yeah. right now from Ryan O'Reilly. I'm getting a lot of texts that say, Ferrari, you got to be better than that. Face-off percentage means nothing outside of special teams. Well, you are very wrong there. Ask any former player. We'll tell you, face-off percentage is very important, not only in the offensive zone because it gives your team puck possession in the offensive zone. Maybe it doesn't lead to scoring, but what it does is it leads to puck possession, which... Especially how, for this team, it yeah. has an outsized importance. It's kind of how you score goals, but... It's more important on the defensive side. And go look at Ryan O'Reilly's defensive zone face-off wins. He's probably top five in the National Hockey League. Those defensive zone wins, whether it be five-on-five or the penalty kill, are huge because it, you know, a team that struggles defensively 
eliminates that scoring option. So, yeah, go talk to somebody who's played because I promise you they will tell you face-off percentage is very important. Alex, last thing that I wanted to get here, and I, I didn't want to shortchange this because they announced yesterday that Clem Costin was going to be able to return to the Blues, and he's somebody that it sounds like might actually factor into the Blues' plans this season, not just for the future but for this year. What do you think he brings to this team? Let's say he gets back like Sunday or Monday and it's the 10-day quarantine, so he will be able to play in a regular season game before the postseason. What do you expect from Clem Costin whenever he is actually available to be in the lineup? I expect him to get a fourth line going. And I was looking at this last night, BK. You didn't really play your fourth line last night. Samford and Clifford, along with Barbashev, kind of were non-existent. They shortened the bench because they were... Um, still trying to keep that lead and hold on to that lead. You got to have a fourth line. I mean, we talk all the time. Joey says it all the time. The Blues don't win the Stanley Cup without that line of Steen, Sunquist, and Barbashev. Sunquist's not coming back or Steen. You got to get somebody going with Ivan Barbashev. You got to have a scoring threat on that fourth line, or just somebody who can bring some energy. I'm really in. in I'm really interested in what happens with Clem Costa because if he plays on that fourth line, which is where I would imagine he would slot in. You put him on the right wing with Ivan Barbashev down the middle, and you find a lot of be Mackenzie McEachern or Kyle Clifford or Zach Sanford or somebody there. That creates some scoring depth for Craig Berube, but more importantly, it creates an opportunity to roll four lines. Now, Klim Kostin has to be responsible in his own zone because, and Curbs and I talked about this on the postgame last night, if you don't have Klim Kostin playing Craig Berube's system, he won't play you. So, you got to come in and you got to impress the coach in a very short sample size. You got to impress the coach that you can play this system and be responsible enough. But if he does that, I think it gives the Blues an advantage because if you look at a matchup against the Colorado Avalanche, that fourth line beat you a couple of times. If you have a better fourth line, then you can you can take them in a seven game series. The Vegas Golden Knights with a fourth line of Ryan Reeves and William Carrier along with uh, Nosek. Those guys have been able to take advantage of your team. Minnesota Wild, they don't really have a fourth line that can go out there and hurt you. So it it really gives the Blues an opportunity to take advantage of some of these teams down the stretch. So as soon as he gets here, I would imagine Barubi's going to want to see him play in a couple of games. The other thing that's really nice is when he's getting here, the timing is right. Because previously, if he got back three weeks ago, let's say, right, he probably would have been asked to do more by fans, not necessarily the coaching staff. He would have been expected to do more in terms of his goal production than he will be now. Now he can come in and the team's playing well around him. And so people will have, I think, realistic expectations of, hey, come come in, be a good fourth liner for the Blues. And that's all they're asking for. Yeah. Just be responsible and be, be a solid depth piece. Be a physical presence. Three, four weeks ago, if he had come in, he would have been asked to be the savior, oh, right? Yeah. He, he would uh-huh. have come in. It's like, oh, this is the guy that we've been missing. Yep. So the timing is definitely right for him to return as well. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service X line from the 314. BK, you're supposed to be staying away from the Blues bandwagon. You are not allowed on this thing. I'm all in on the Blues. I believe that they're going to be, uh, I, I know, they're going to be a lot better than I expected them to be moving forward. Uh, but, yeah, I, I can't touch the bandwagon. No, I've been, yeah. I've been not even allowed out. To, you're not even allowed to look at it. Like, don't look at the bandwagon. I feel like I can look from no, afar. No. I can appreciate it. No, you're not supposed to. You can't look at it. You Six, have to hate it. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. You give us four options. We'll tell you which one's got to go. One got to go to finish up the week is next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario.
Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie, closing things out for the week the way that we always do live from the new E&B Granite Studio at the Centene Community Ice Center. 65780 is the Welcome Air Comfort Service studio. text line. You give us four options. We will tell you which ones got to go. Sorry. Speak loud. Or from the Car Shield Studio. Some of us don't get to be at EMB. Yeah, well, two of us are out here. One of us is back there. We'll two let you matter. decide which one's which. All right, let's start out with this one. Chicago Food Edition. One got to go. Deep dish pizza, baked cheesecake, Italian beef sandwich, or the Chicago dog. Okay, which what? one's got to go? So, like, are we baked cheesecake? Are we talking like? I legitimately don't know what this is. I don't know what that is. Let me look it up real quick. Did you guys know baked cheesecake is a thing? No, I'm not a fan of cheesecake though. So. Oh really? It just says baked cheesecake. It looks like it's just a normal cheesecake with graham cracker crust. Okay. Cream cheese, sour cream, graham cracker crust. So, so it's a just normal cheesecake. Basically, basically cheesecake. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Alex, which one's got to go? Um. Okay. So do this again. Deep, dish, deep dish, baked pizza. cheesecake, cheesecake. Absolutely. Italian beef or the hot dog, the Chicago dog. Um, I think I'm gonna get rid of the baked cheesecake. I don't think I really need that. Those other three, uh, those other three sounded like happiness to me. I'm watching a show right now, Man vs. Food, uh, old old show on the Travel Channel where he goes around to different restaurants, and I'm starting to like want to go to some of these places. Oh yeah, that's what the I know. Well, in about. Chicago, and he did the deep dish, which I've always been kind of out on because I don't like bread with my pizza like i just want a normal pizza but some of it looked good but they showed uh one of those italian beef sandwiches oh, yeah, in chicago amazing. oh my gosh and then the hot dog i mean how can you go wrong with a hot dog right yeah, no tanner's not getting rid of that yeah, so yeah baked cheesecake gotta go i'm with you baked cheesecake see ya not even a fan of normal cheesecake i guess so yeah i'll get rid of the cheesecake it says it's it says it's a cheesecake. If it isn't baked, it's just a bunch of cream cheese and sugar. <laughs> okay. Well, that makes sense then. Touche. I, I don't know how that is Chicago style. I guess I guess we're doing that. Whatever. Um, I thought he was saying, like, this is a, I don't know, whatever. Uh, I'll go with the cheesecake as well. I'm not get, getting rid of the classics. You know, you got the deep dish, the Italian beef, and the hot dog. I feel like this is just throwing one other thing that you could cook into a three-piece Chicago style food and one thing that's just, like, there. I Maybe I'm wrong on this, but I don't see how cheesecake is, like, Chicago style. I feel like it's more New York to me. Uh, all right. One got to go action sport edition. Water skiing, wave runners, snow skiing, or snowboarding. Water skiing, wave runners, snow skiing, or snowboarding. One's got to go. Honestly, it's down between snow skiing and water skiing to me because both of those I despise. Really? Um, yeah, and I'll get rid of the snow skiing because I don't like snow that much. I'm stunned by that revelation. Yeah. Well, see, you're not getting rid of Show me one person who's not happy on a wave runner. Well, that is definitely it's true. impossible. It's impossible not to smile when you're on a wave runner. You guys know, though, that I'm not particularly athletic, so the whole snowboarding Snowboarding's thing fun, though. doesn't work for me. I do not have the balance for that. I can ski. It's I cannot snowboard. No, it is not. No, it's like rollerblading and roller skating. No, it is like putting rollerblades into one roller blade, yeah. and then yeah, you're, you're just trying. No, you can do it. It's, it's not, not the same thing at all. Yeah, no. Uh, uh, snow skiing's gotta go. I'm with I'm with Alex here. I, snow skiing's not for me. I, I, that's the one I think that I have to get rid of. Wow, I'm very surprised by you guys. Uh, one gotta go. Seafood edition: scallops, crab. Wait, which one are you getting rid of? 
I said snowboarding. Oh, I can't okay. snowboard. I'm, I feel miserably every time that I try. I just fall flat on my face. I get like two feet and it's kapoof. Probably hurt the snow. Right into the snow. Uh, seafood edition. Scallops, crab, catfish, or crawfish. Scallops, crab, catfish, or crawfish. One's got to go seafood edition. i got to be honest with you. I don't know if I like any of those other than catfish. Really? Never, so you I've don't never like had shellfish? Crab's no. really good. Yeah, and I've, I've never Are had... Are you allergic? I, I don't know. I've never had it. You've never, never had, had crab? Had, uh-uh. Really? No, I've had crab. I don't like crab. Scallops? Never had scallops unless they're scallops fried. Scallops are delicious. And that doesn't really count, in my opinion. And then I've never had crawfish. So... I'll get rid of scallops because at least crawfish sounds like it might be enjoyable. I don't know if I like scallops. See, I'm out on the crawfish. Never had one. Yeah, I I know there's a lot of people that do like crawfish boils and uh, it's just not my thing, man. I'm, I'm out on the crawfish. I like all the others. Scallops are fantastic. One of my favorite seafoods. Crab is great. Catfish is all right. It's fine if it's fried, but I'm, I'm out on the crawfish entirely. Tanner, what you got? I don't know if I've ever had crawfish either now that I'm thinking about it. Isn't scallops the one where you have to, like, slurp it out of the thing or whatever? Whoa, or no. I think it's something easy. else. That's, no. That's, uh, that's uh, oysters and uh, easy. And uh, I'm out on oysters, too. I don't know. Yeah, I'm can't not do it. Oysters. I can't do scallops. Texture thing. I, oysters gonna... smells like raw eggs. <laughs> I still can't smell anything, so I couldn't tell you. <laughs> I think I'm going to get rid of the scallops. Not a fan. I'll, I'll say... See, yeah, to the scallops. Someone said crawfish are river bugs. Gross. I mean, you, you have to suck the head out of them. That's like the shrimp are like the, the cockroaches of the water. You don't like shrimp? No, I love shrimp. I'm just saying. Oh, okay, like I was about to say. Shrimp, the water. Shrimp, well, true. To, so no yeah. shrimp for this guy. Uh, all right. Girly drink edition. Oh, Tanner, oh, this has your name written all Why over it. Why does this have my here? name this written all me. over it? That's, that's me, cruel. Baby. Give me some it, seltzers. It is honestly, Alex. Uh, sangria, which is one of my favorite drinks. Hard seltzer. Pina colada or strawberry daiquiri? Sangria, hard seltzer, pina colada, or strawberry daiquiri? What's, One's got to go. What's Basically, drink by the pool edition. What'd you say, T-Bone? What's sangria? I don't know if I... Sangria? It's a, it's a wine drink. Oh, okay. Okay. Wine, a little vodka, a little bit of fruit in there. I tell you, there. seltzers aren't going anywhere, so get all the way up. Uh, strawberry daiquiri's got to go for me. Really? Because at least the other three, like you said, sangrias are always good, especially when it's you're delightful. by a pool. Um, you can go up to I, I uh, me some, Frosino and St. Charles, get yourself a nice little sangria I during happy hour for five bucks. Mm. Okay, enough out of you. So good. I love me some pina colada, though. I like some coconut in my drink. So I'm getting rid of the strawberry daiquiri. Uh, I think I'm getting rid of the seltzer. Not a big seltzer guy. I can handle the pina colada, the strawberry daiquiri. Sangria, I could, that sounds decent. So, uh, seltzers, I cannot drink a seltzer. Yeah. Sorry, Tanner only drinks manly drinks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Tanner I can, just I drinks Bud Heavy. Come on, get out of here. Yeah, Bud Heavy or Bush? I, can, I, can, I drink Dark I can't, no, it's Zickle, guys. Come on. I can't drink a seltzer. Those are disgusting. Really? I only drink Zickle. I hate seltzers. Yeah. I'm actually surprised by that. Um, I'm going to go ahead and get rid of the pina coladas. Well, just a little too sweet for me. Just a little too sweet for me. Now, that being said, on my honeymoon, you bet your ass I'm going to be drinking one of those by the by the uh, pool. But Not by the not by the ocean, by the pool. No, 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 no. You, you know I'm not going to be swimming yeah. in the... Not, not by the ocean. At the, at the beautiful, clear water, I'm going to be looking at that from my pool in the Dominican. It's going to be great. That's what you're spending Puticana. thousands of dollars on. That's right. All right, last one for you guys. One got to go. Weekend trip edition. Which one of these cities are you getting rid of? Austin, Texas. Denver, Miami, or Nashville? Austin, Texas, Denver, Miami, or Nashville? Which one's got to go? Hey, I'm thinking food more than anything with this because I haven't eaten lunch yet. So 
not getting rid of Austin because you got all of the barbecue. Um, not getting rid of Miami because it's Miami. Uh, I think I'm getting rid of um, Denver. I think I'm getting rid of Denver because I think I'd have a much more enjoyable time in uh, all three of the other places. It goes Nashville 1, 2 Miami, 3 um, Austin, 4 Denver. Get the hell out of here, Denver. See, I'm keeping Denver. I'm getting rid of Austin. I... Have you been to Austin? Austin's incredible. Uh, no, I've not been. I think I'm planning okay, a trip well, to go to possibly Austin no this year, so then this. I'll have better take. Well, I'm assuming I'm going in the summer, and it's hot as hell in Austin. <laughs> There's no humidity. But it's it's hot in Miami, but it's Miami, and Nashville's just awesome. So I'm going to I'm going to get rid of Austin. So I know everybody loves Nashville, and it's like the oh, up and coming oh, yeah. city. Oh, yeah, BK gosh. hates everything about Nashville. Nashville's a really good time. But I would rather go to Austin, Denver, or Miami than Nashville. I really would. Oh, what was that? BKO that. I can't believe I can't believe this. I like Nashville. Now, again, Nashville's a good time, but we've got all four of these cities are a good time. That's very true. I, I would rather go to any of the other three than never Nashville. Been down so Nashville Broadway? would be the one that I have to go to. What? You never been down Broadway? Now yeah, that's a good time, and I couldn't even I, drink when a, I went down Broadway. BK's not a honky tonk. This is going to surprise you, Tanner, but I'm not a big country guy. Well, neither so. am I. But that's it's not true. it's a bar. There's music. There's sports. There's beer, and I couldn't even experience the beer last time I went to Nashville. BK goes down to Nashville and puts on a cowboy hat, wears cowboy boots, oh, with yeah. spurs, and he just <laughs> walks in. He's it. like, "Howdy, everyone!" <laughs> with Alex Ferrario, Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. We'll cross things over next. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. We're live from the ENB Granite Studio at the Centene Community Ice Center. Huge thanks to Tanner Hendrickson for holding things down for us in the studio. And that is where we are joined by Jamie Rivers of the Fast Lane to cross things over. Jamie, what's going on, man? Not much, guys. How we doing over at Centene today? I know it's uh it's nationals, it's US packed. nationals. What is going on out here, man? Yeah, it's, it's the nationals championship. So all the best teams across the country are playing, obviously, to become the national champion. And uh yeah, I had a couple of texts from people over there saying, well, we hope your show is here today because you're going to get heckled. I was like, nah, I'm not, but that guy BK thinks you guys are all jerks. That's why that guy kept walking by and flipping us the bird. I was wondering what was going on here. I did think it was a little on the nose for him to be able to continue doing that. He kept pointing at his nose, too, so I didn't know what he was talking about. He he was referencing me. Oh, the big one? Yeah, that's what he was trying to get after there. Well, the nose, anyway. (laughs) That that makes a lot of sense. I was wondering what was going on, because, like, it is packed out here. And Jamie, earlier today, when I was doing Danny the the Danny, Danny Mac show, humble brag. Speaking, I can speak here. Um, it was like just constant club music that was going on right outside of the studio. Club music. So I was like, what is going on out oh, here? Yeah. It's a uh, it's a big deal, man. It's a big deal right now. Actually, the St. Louis still has one team in it too. Is that uh, the U sixteen or U eighteen? A U eighteen Car Shield AAA team here from nice. from St. Louis. They're one and one right now. They play at six o'clock tonight against uh, one of the teams that's usually good every year, Shattuck St. Mary's. 
Uh, so that should be a huge game for them. So if they win, I believe they can continue on in this nice. thing. Who's that coach, Jamie? Uh, J.P. Bealston. Nice. Yeah, local kid, grew up here playing hockey here, played with Paul Stastny and those guys back in the day. Uh, so, yeah, he's a hockey lifer here in St. Louis. Love it. Well, that's awesome. Well, there's plenty going on out here at Centene Community Ice Center. I got to be honest, it's pretty awesome to be able to see this place filling back yeah. up again. It's been, a, it's been a while since we've seen that, so that's great to see. Coming up for you guys, Jamie, what do you guys have today coming up on the fast lane? Well, gosh, you guys know there's a lot of meat on the bone today with the Blues and the Cardinals and the NFL draft. We've got Danny Mack that's going to stop by. There's going to be a BT uh, segment here as he's working for Bally Sports today doing the game downtown. And then we're uh, we're in the process right now of uh, getting Ryan O'Reilly to commit to a time today. He's going to come on and nice. talk about how I taught him how to do that backhand. Um, but, yeah, it. no, should be a busy day. Looking forward to that. Hey, Jamie, did you know next week is the one-year anniversary of us getting put together? Uh, you and me? Yeah, the two of us. Wow, we whoa, didn't even want a gift. We didn't whoa, even make it a year. The two of us with, well, the Ribs and BK show with Alex Ferrario. Okay, that's enough. We didn't even make it a year. Is it, should we have that annulled? In the marriage world, would you have that annulled? No, because no. you love you love the memory of it. Yeah. That's true. We'll always yeah. have the memories, BK. Yeah. Uh, that's right. Yeah, you, cool. you, me, and, and Alex nope, was along nope. for the ride. Both of you just said each other, so you two just enjoy this little love thing. It's okay, Alex. That's how I feel with BK and Ferrario. Yeah, right? I've done that twice in the last week. If you missed yeah. anything from today's show, be sure to check out the podcast page presented by, I promise, 101ESPN.com, the free 101ESPN app. It's all there. Jamie, you guys have a wonderful show today from 2 to 6. We will be back on Monday at 11. Alex will be out your favorite time of the year. I will be in. We are going to be joined by uh, Katie Wu is going to spend the first hour with me. The Cardinals beat writer for the athletic Jeremy Rutherford will be in for the second hour of the show. And then Anthony Stalter is going to be hanging out for the third hour. So a lot of stuff going on on Monday. We'll be back on Monday at 11 right here on 101 ESPN. I enjoy eating out. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast powered by I promise.